the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good Monday morning, everyone, and welcome to character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy character with you. How was your weekend, Michelle? Randy, my weekend was great. It always goes by too quickly, though. How about Way yours? Way too quickly. Yeah, it was good. Got a bike ride in, got some golf in, so it was, it was did some grilling. I did everything I do. I feel like every Monday, your weekend recap could be the exact same. It, Grilling, it bike, could. Or, bike ride, golf. Yesterday, <laughs> though, I fixed some drawers in a uh, in our upstairs office. We have cabinets that have been way overfilled, and the, like, the bottom came out of them, so I had to fix those. And uh, Then I took Katie car shopping, so we picked out a car at Bomberito Honda for Katie, so that's a good thing, too. That's exciting, new car. Yeah. I want to circle back to you as a handyman, though. Can you fix a lot of things? I can fix pretty much anything. Yeah, my really? dad was really handy, and he always dragged me along to do that kind of stuff. So, yeah, if I have the time and the inclination, I can do pretty electrical, plumbing. I can do pretty much anything, yeah. Wow, I didn't know this about you, Randy. Yeah. I'm impressed. Yeah, so I don't do it all the time because sometimes I just say, yeah. There's people that get paid for this. Let's pay them for it. I am the complete opposite. <laughs> I will Google something, realize very quickly I can't do it, and then call my dad and be like, hey, how do I get this fixed? <laughs> Who do you know that can fix this? <laughs> hey, there's a guy that can fix a card in a losing streak. His name is Adam Wainwright. And on his 39th birthday yesterday, he delivered a complete game victory for the Cardinals as they snapped a four-game losing streak with a victory over Cleveland. The 0-2 pitch. Fly ball, left field, Carlson over, he has it! Wainwright, his 39th birthday, he goes the distance, 23rd complete game of his career. Absolutely remarkable, and a hug from Yadier Molina. Goosebumps everywhere, everywhere. What a performance from the 39-year-old Adam Wainwright. Incredible. Danny Mac, the call, obviously, on FS Midwest. You'll hear from Dan between 10 and 11 today here on 101 ESPN. And you heard about the hug between Yachty and Molina. Molina was so excited about yesterday's Wainwright start. To be honest, I couldn't sleep last night thinking about it. Uh, really special to be in this moment with him, to be with him for many years and um, on his birthday to... To do that, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's going to be a, a moment that we we remember forever, forever. What a joy it's been, Randy, to watch these two be connected and be such competitors and leaders for this organization over the past 
past 15 years. This is just another log on that fire of great moments that they have for the St. Louis Cardinals. And Adam Wainwright is such a great story this mm-hmm. season. I think if, you, if you're if you looking at the Cardinals, the first main storyline is obviously the COVID outbreak and the way that they've been able to overcome that in a lot of ways. But the second story has to be what Wainwright and Molina are doing at this point in their career. You have Adam Wainwright, who knew that his bullpen had to cover seven innings the previous two games, and said to Mike Schilt, he texted him the day before, hey, I got you. Whatever you need, don't even ask. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go out there and deliver for my team. And he's done it now. Not once, twice. He's been averaging seven innings, Randy, since he they returned from this COVID outbreak. Then you have Yadier Molina on the other end of this duo, who has his, his 2,000th game with the Cardinals yesterday, racking up different accolades throughout the season. What they're doing at this stage in their career, leading this team, is unbelievable. And those two together with, with the 269 games as a battery, that's unprecedented in this era. The all-time record for starts between a pitcher and catcher, Mickey Lolich and Bill Freehan of the Tigers, 324 together between 1963 and 75. Warren Spahn and Del Crandall of the Braves, 316 between 49 and 63. Uh, Red Faber and Ray Schalk from 14 to 26. Steve Rogers and Gary Carter had 270. That's next on the list for Molina and Wainwright. They did it between 75 and 84. And then John Don Drysdale and John Rosebro between 57 and 67. This just doesn't happen in this day and age where you have two, a pitcher and a catcher stay on a team together long enough to pitch to and catch together this many times. If you were in Vegas back in 2004, 2005, and you could oh. cash it, you could place the bet that in 2020, Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright would still be doing the same thing at this level. No one would make that bet. No. No you one. Would, you would never have heard of somebody making that bet. Men, uh, Michelle mentioned the text that Wayno sent to Mike Schild. Schild talked about it. You know what? He's clearly on a mission. He sent me a text after the game basically said, I got I got everybody as long as you need. Don't even have to ask. That was, that was the first text I got after the game yesterday. That's the kind of, I mean, this guy's um, he's a legend for a reason. And a legend continues to grow. So I didn't feel a need to go down there and say anything that didn't make any sense anyway, maybe. This is a guy that, as a young pitcher, came up under the uh, wing of Chris Carpenter. And that is so Chris Carpenter, Wainwright, sending that text to Schilt. I always go back to Carp talking to Gerald Laird and Nick Punto before that game five, the, the bus ride game after game four. And he told those guys, hey, just get a run tomorrow and we'll be good. And the Cardinals got a run in the first inning and they were good. When Mike Schilt calls him a legend, that is the stuff that legends are made of. It reminds me of the last dance when we watch Michael Jordan, who would say things and then go out there and make them happen. For Adam Wainwright to say that to his manager and then be able to go out there and deliver, it just shows you what he's made of and what he can will himself to do. And I'm just consistently of awe of he and Yadier Molina. And it's just been really fun to watch them this season. It really has, Randy. And so much about this game being a complete game on his 39th birthday with the team desperately needing it, having the losing streak, having the bullpen uh, wore down. This is something that, as a manager, you really have to have from somebody at times. Gertie told me, you know, our bullpen coach, Brian Evers, Gertie's like, he's playing catch with him yesterday. He said, I got 120 in me tomorrow. And uh, he told Mike Maddox, our pitching coach, he's like, you know, it's a minimum 120 today. And, uh, you know, clearly we're going to just let him go to go, but he was working – pretty clean and um obviously his stuff was still good against a really nice hitting ball club so 
pretty impressive. You know, fourth all time now in Cardinal starts, um, has a start against every major league team. You know, today's effort not only was huge for today, but clearly the residual benefit moving forward to being able to give our bullpen a blow after basically getting um, about 15 and a third innings the last two days and grinding over the course of the last several weeks. So it was big for a lot of reasons. And Schill brought up the 120 pitches minimum. He threw 122, Wainwright did, with 82 for strikes. And Cleveland never really had a chance. After Tyler Naquid hits the home run, it's pretty much that's it for them. And Mike Schultz is right about the residual effect this is going to have, not only because he's getting the giving the bullpen a chance to catch their breath and, you know, eating up those innings for you, but this team looked a little stagnant, to say the least, over the yeah. past few games. And Adam Wainwright probably gave them a shot of life. You go out there and you, you watch your teammate do this and have this type of performance. This is something that's going to give you some energy to rally around something like this. You pitched for 15 years in the majors. You came up in 2005. And... You're 39 years old. You'd think, okay, I, I've pretty much seen everything. But for Wainwright, there's a lot that goes into a game and a day like yesterday. Oh man, I can only other I can only compare one other one other game on my on my birthday to that, and that was in 2013 when we started uh, when we started. My brother and I started Big League Impact. We did our first ever fantasy draft that day, that morning at the at the stadium. Had all the people there and. It was against the Braves, which also made it special. But here uh, at Bush Stadium, I walked off the mound. I remember looking up at the crowd in right field and, and giving kind of a salute, uh, just a kind of a job well done all day, you know, all day around, like all the way, all the way around from charity and, and pitching. But I certainly wasn't that emotional, man. I, I uh, just had to take a little cry break, honestly. So I didn't want to bring that in here to y'all. That's pretty cool. I love seeing him so emotional with Danny Mac after the game. You you could feel how much this meant to him. And we are really lucky here in St. Louis to have witnessed so many amazing things within Cardinal baseball. And it's not hyperbole to say that we're watching greatness. Mm-hmm. We're watching it in real time. We understand that when you watch Adam Wainwright go out there and do what he did yesterday, that this is a moment when he's getting his red jacket that you're going to tell your kids about or that you're going to turn to the person next to you. Hopefully we're back in the stands at that time and say, remember when he had that complete game on his 39th birthday? Remember what he and Yadier Molina did? These are the moments that we're going to remember when we look back in Cardinal history. And if the person next to you says, yeah, it was there, you know they're lying. <laughs> you know they're lying. <laughs> but I haven't felt the absence of the fans a lot over the past few weeks when Dylan Carlson hits his first home run. That's certainly mm-hmm. a moment that you realize Bush Stadium would have been going crazy. Yesterday was one of those days that you just knew how special it would have been to have the fans there for Adam Wainwright in that moment. Michelle talked about the conversation that Adam had with Danny Mack after the game and here's that conversation. Complete game on your 39th birthday. Uh, you've had so many great moments on this field, where does this one rank for you? <laughs> oh, it's up there. Um, <laughs> woo, it's good. Um, it's up there for sure. Uh, I thought I was done crying, Danny. Um, <clears throat> it's up there, you know. You, you. Um, I hadn't been that good for a while. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. Um. You've been pretty darn good though this year. Thank you. Yeah, I started feeling. Uh, yeah, I started feeling better. I started feeling healthy finally. You know, uh, the the thought of of going nine 
the last couple of years was was a tough thought. You know, you you try to you try to pump yourself up for it. You know, just <clears throat> you just give everything you got. And you don't have it, but um, starting to feel it. You know, so it's good to be back. Here's a guy who's battled some pretty tough injuries and who over the past couple seasons, everybody has wanted to count out. We've said, hey, are the Cardinals really going to extend Adam Wainwright? How much does he have to give this team? Well, look at his age. You know the end of the road is coming. And he's not immune to all of that. While he certainly works as hard as he can and he believes in himself, he is aware of the things that are being said about him. Mm -hmm. And for him to block all of that out and to go out there and continue to perform at this level, it's amazing to see hard work and perseverance rewarded in this manner. And I think that's why you see somebody like Adam Wainwright be so emotional in that moment. When you see somebody who's in their late 30s and they get hurt all the time and they can't deliver, they can't just go to the post for you. And I think Wainwright, for four consecutive years, had those issues, you have a tendency to write him off. I think it's rational. It's a logical thing to do. Yeah, it's human nature. Yeah, I, I wrote him off, but he wouldn't allow that to happen. And congrats to him. And not only writing him off, but coming into this season, we thought, okay, you've got Martinez back, so you got Flaherty, obviously. You've got Michaelis. You've got Martinez. Uh, you've got Dakota Hudson, who won 16 or 17 games last year. And then Wainwright's a great number five. Well, now, Wainwright and Flaherty are 1-1-A. One and one a. Absolutely, without a doubt, Yeah, without a question. And it's interesting the way that this all lines up, right? You have this COVID outbreak. You have this shortened season because the season started late. To You know, you had Yadier Molina who tested positive, who was out for a while. The way that this lined up, that it was Yadier Molina's 2000th game, that milestone on Adam Wainwright's 39th birthday, and they're both there together, and that's the performance that you get. It's, it's crazy to look back at the kind of the broken road that led them here. It's pretty amazing. It's, it's cool to see. So now the Cardinals head back out on the road. They're in Cincinnati tonight, and Dakota Hudson will pitch against uh, Anthony DeSclafani, and of course you'll see that game on FS Midwest. Michelle, Randy, great to have you with us. While the Cardinal pitching was fantastic yesterday, the offense left something to be desired over the weekend. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle, before pulling away for a 7-2 victory yesterday, the Cardinals had really struggled offensively. In the doubleheader against Pittsburgh, they scored one run in regulation before scoring three, uh, two in the extra inning on Thursday in the opener. They only scored two on Friday night. They only scored one on Saturday and then finally exploded yesterday. But, man, when you're only scoring three runs, four runs over the course of four games in regulation time, your offense has problems. And the Cardinal offense has really had difficulty getting anything going consistently. It was good to see them score seven yesterday, but tonight when they face DeSclafani, they'll have to sustain things. And the offense just throughout the course of the last couple of years has been really inconsistent. I don't know how they develop consistency. And Exactly. To your point, doesn't it seem like this has been the conversation that we've been having about the Cardinals for a while? now depth of pitching your starting pitching is going to carry you but the offense has been inconsistent or just not there at all it's uh it's hard to to see how they're going to fix it and get that consistency it really is and they're sticking with Matt Carpenter and it's nice of them to stick with Matt Carpenter but when you combine last year and this year and you look at the overall numbers for the guy 
it's just not happening for him. He's hitting 186. He has a 609 OPS. He does have a dozen RBIs this year, but he only has one home run. And BT always used that phrase last year. It looks like he's swinging underwater, and it looks like he is. This is a guy that barely got over 200 last year, and he's hitting 186 with a 337 on base this year. You can't use that from a middle-of-the-lineup guy. And it's not just him. We tend to focus on him because he's been a good hitter in the past. But... Tyler O'Neill is down to 164 with a 601 OPS. We love the idea of Dylan Carlson, but his OPS is 528. The Cardinals aren't giving us anything in terms of offense except for Paul Goldschmidt. You've seen some sparks from uh, Dylan Carlson. You've seen Dexter Fowler give you some stuff. He's having it, a good year. Good good call on, on Fowler. Yeah, Fowler. You you actually called that, I believe, right, Randy? The, the Dexter Fowler <laughs> success, right? I'm going to give you some props here. But... um. As, as far as Matt Carpenter goes, I think that we tend to focus on him not only because we've seen him produce offensively before, but because he has the contract. And this, yeah. is, this is somebody that you expect to give you offensive production based on what you're paying him and based what you know his peak has been. But in a shortened season like this, if you're the Cardinals, what are your options? You're going to have to try to switch it up or, or find a spark in there somehow. And if you have Paul Goldschmidt hitting third and Matt Carpenter hitting third, fourth or fifth, and he hit fourth once, but especially with the way Miller has gone the last couple of games, why would you ever pitch to Paul Goldschmidt? There's no good reason. If you're that manager that says, okay, that guy's not going to beat me, there's nobody else in the Cardinal lineup that you say, okay, that guy's going to beat me. All due respect to Fowler, who, by the way, has an 848 OPS. He's 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 beyond what anybody could reasonably expect him to be doing, but he's not a number four hitter. And Heck, this year he's been great. Here's Mike Schilt on Dexter Fowler. He's taking good at bats. You know, he's um, both sides of the plate have been good. He's he's taking his walks. He's he's um, his swing looks like he's got a nice stroke. He's he's actually made some hard outs too. That you know some of the numbers could have been better, but he's really just got he's got timely hits. You know, got us on the board early over in Chicago with the home off off Hendrick, the game we won, and um, you know it was a big big blow today um, to open that game up a little bit. And and uh, I thought our offense was was really good today, and Dex was a big part of it with the two run double and the and the and the homer three RBI day. So we can all agree that Fowler is what he is. Are you confident in anybody else turning it on here for the Cardinals? Not overly confident. No, you know you've seen spells here and there, but the guys that are kind of lagging. I, I don't have the sample size in this season and or really at the end of last season to say, yeah, I believe that you could put it together and give me a consistent run. No, and maybe Dylan Carlson will figure things out. Mm-hmm. But, man, for as much as we were excited about O'Neal before the COVID break, he has not been good at all. Yachty is what he is. He's hitting 300, but his power numbers are, are not there. His slugging percentage is only 365, so he's not a middle-of-the-lineup guy. I just don't know where you find that middle-of-the-lineup presence if you're Mike Schilt. Who do you plug in to be your number 4 hitter? Is there any sort of lineup changes that you think could spark this offense? I, I sometimes defer back to Matt Carpenter and wonder if he's not a guy that you, you throw in the leadoff spot because he's had some success there. I know you kind of don't want to disrupt what you have going on up there, but I, I just wonder if that's something that you, you do to see if you can get him some some sort of stuff going. I've thought about that because Wonger has his on base down to 330. It was 
370 earlier in the season. Wonger is only hitting 205 now. So maybe you move him down to seven or eight in the, or nine mm-hmm. in the lineup and put Carpenter back up top. And then I know DeYoung hit second during the weekend. I think the only guy you can really hit fourth is DeYoung. So right. either whether it's Carpenter Edmund or Edmund Carpenter and then Goldschmidt and then DeYoung. But then you got to find yourself a number five hitter. And the trade deadline is today, and I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening either. No. Meanwhile, Michelle, I don't know if you watched any college. There was a college football game this weekend. Did you see it? You know what, Randy? I wasn't locked into it, no. Did it was, you? It was the team that was supposed to play Mizzou in their opener next weekend, Central Arkansas. And they have rescheduled, and they've been able to make a schedule for themselves. They played Austin P. I saw a couple of plays, and I thought to myself, is this live? <laughs> But I guess ESPN is looking for programming, so they aired Central Arkansas and Austin P. I'm they're gonna need college football, so whatever form or fashion they're gonna get it, they're probably going to air it. Yeah. And Mizzou will still start on the twenty sixth, but I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to real football, and I don't care in what form it arrives on my TV screen. I don't care if there are fans in the stands. By the way, I think the TV in general has done really good with the crowd noise, if I can have that. I don't care if they don't have the pomp. I don't care if LSU... Do- Heck, I'm happy that LSU doesn't have Jamar Chase. Who's playing LSU this year? So I'm okay with college football playing in the the realm that they're going to be playing in. It's better than not having college football. It's certainly better than nothing, but I keep thinking about college football and how a lot of these other sports that I've been watching, I really don't notice that the fans aren't there. They've done a great job with the broadcast. I don't like the virtual fans, by the way. Do you? Uh, not a fan. Not a huge, no, not a huge fan. The game on Saturday, Cardinals Indians, there was one solitary virtual fan dressed in black down the right field line. I don't know how or why <laughs> the, they, that person wound up there, but somebody bounced a ball into the stands down the right field line, and just one virtual fan sitting there doing nothing, hanging out. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Um, but college football is so different. College football. The biggest part of the formula oftentimes Mm -hmm. is the environment that you're in. When you go to Bama LSU at LSU in Baton Rouge on a Saturday night, you factor in the crowd as an X factor for Mm -hmm. the game. I saw this piece that Wright Thompson did about college football and what it's going to look like and feel like or what it's not going to look like and it's not going to feel like and how the fanfare and the band and the fans and the intensity of the crowd is such a part of the game. And I think we're going to miss it with college football way more than we expect. I think we need to have a muffled band sound. When Florida is playing between plays, or when USC is playing, have their little their fight song snippet or Notre Dame, have the muffled band sound as well as the muffled crowd sound that you're hearing. And maybe you won't even notice. I think you will, though. Those those crowd shots where you have all the students and their faces are painted and they have the signs and they're going crazy. You don't get that same level of fan interaction and fan intensity and ritualism and sense of community and, and just the tapestry of the crowd that you do in other sports. You just don't get it. You don't. But what you have to do is just focus on the competition. And not focus on the ancillary things, which are great for college football. But this is going to be a year where in the SEC or in the ACC, you're going to have to just focus on what the competition is and leave the 
other fun parts of college football out of it. And by the way, in the SEC, you'll still have 25%. I would hope that the SEC teams will put some of their band members in there, too. You would hope so. Hopefully they figure it out. I just I get concerned that from a viewing standpoint, it's going to feel flat. It might, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I have to believe CBS is going crazy with SEC trying to, and ESPN, trying to make sure that it's the best viewing experience that we can have. True. I'm sure they are, but a lot of it's going to be, you know, calibrating on on real time. You're going to have to say, okay, this is working, this isn't working. We saw that with all these other sports, how they've been trying virtual fans and and the cutouts and things like that. But I just, I'll be watching regardless, obviously. I just embracing myself for it to not be special. And if you haven't seen, Auburn (laughs) had a huge COVID-19 positive test group yesterday, like 24 people at Auburn. So that's not good that some of the SEC schools that are planning on playing because we're really concerned about football. Uh, But from their perspective and their standpoint, not having 100% health for your student body is a real negative for any institution. It is, and I think that we should anticipate that that's going to continue to happen throughout the season. It's just... It's unrealistic to not expect that you're going to see students interact with other students and potentially be exposed to COVID. It's just unrealistic to expect that it won't happen. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up today is MLB's trade deadline. What will the Cardinals do and what's already been done? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> News out of Washington, D.C. this morning. Sad news that at the age of 78, former Georgetown coach John Thompson has passed away. Of course, he led the Hoyas to the 1985 National Championship, and he was the first African-American coach, Michelle, to win a national championship. Obviously an iconic person in our history as sports fans and as college basketball fans. And he turned a lot of players into NBA players, but also turned them into fantastic men. There's a lot of people out there, people like Patrick Ewing and Alonzo Mourning and Allen Iverson that are products of the John Thompson program at uh, at. Georgetown that were great players and many really important members of communities too. Super sad news. As you mentioned, national championship game, three final fours. And oftentimes that's what your legacy really is. Not what you do on the co- on the court, but all of the people's lives you impact off the court. So thoughts to his family and to the Georgetown family. Meanwhile, today, Michelle is the baseball trade deadline and the Cardinals are not rumored to be doing anything. They look like a team that kind of should stay quiet. And while a lot of baseball teams are making big moves, specifically the Padres, and the Cubs got Jose Martinez from Tampa Bay yesterday, there really doesn't appear to be a lot out there for the Cardinals to do. Is there one move in particular that you would like to see them make? Well, you'd like to get a bat. Actually, as a DH, Jose Martinez would have been an interesting bat, right? It really would have. When I saw that he went to the Cubs, my first thought was, oh, man, really, the Cubs? That's where you have to see Jose Martinez, who who was somebody that Cardinals fans really enjoyed watching play. But Mm -hmm. then I thought, you could certainly use him right now. Yeah, now that you have the DH. He's a professional hitter. That's exactly what you would want Jose Martinez to be. That was the conversation around him for a long time. Hey, defensively, we can't put him out there, but we don't have a spot for him because there's no DH. Now that you have that, you would really like a guy like Jose Martinez. And he got traded for a couple of players to be named later, and the Cardinals, they they have 
a lot of young players, and especially now we know a lot of young pitchers. There are some bats out there on the lineup. Apparently, Texas is willing to part with Joey Gallo, who had a fabulous year last year and has turned into a great hitter. Uh, There are a lot of starting pitchers out there. The Cardinals don't really need to get a starting pitcher. There is one player out there that I think is intriguing, and that's Xander Bogarts of the Red Sox. He's under contract. He's under team control. Now, that's two years at $20 million per season before he has an opt-out. But Bogarts is a guy who could provide a bat. He can provide a good shortstop for you. And then you can move a guy like DeYoung to third. You displace Matt Carpenter but or, or, or Edmund. I would think it would be Carpenter. But that would be a pretty good addition to a team, a championship shortstop. Those don't come along every day. It really doesn't. But my concern with adding a bat is that you're going to make some moves and potentially move some pieces that might be valuable to you when I don't think one bat is going to be something that necessarily sparks this offense. I don't think it's going to be one guy that comes in and makes that much of an impact. But it does take some pressure off. If you can get a guy just to lengthen the lineup and all of a sudden you have Bogarts that is a number four, middle of the lineup guy, three, four, five, six hitter, then all of a sudden it lengthens the lineup a little bit and you don't have as many outs at the bottom of your lineup. I don't know if that's worth $20 million a year for the Cardinals to do that. I wouldn't think it is. Yadi Molina is making $20 million a year and he would be your second highest paid player along with Yadi behind Paul Goldschmidt. So I don't think that financially that's a move that fits the Cardinals, but if you're talking about one player out there that you say, okay, that would help the Cardinals, that might be the guy. And by the way, Bogarts is not having a great year, so I don't know if this is the year where you say, okay, that's the the, the move to make. I really, I don't see the Cardinals making a move. I don't see them making a move either. They're historically not super active at deadline time. And I think with so many unknowns right now and the money that would be involved, I'd be surprised if we saw them make a move. But what about pitching, Randy? You have a a heavy schedule coming your way. You're going to have to mix a lot of pieces to put together this pitching puzzle. Is there a pitcher out there that you think the Cardinals might be intrigued by? I don't think that they're going to improve upon what they have. Apparently, they're going to move Oviedo into the rotation. They do have that stretch of five doubleheaders in 11 days. But I think they've pretty much got that covered with the pitchers that they have. I don't think that they need to go out and get a guy. And I don't know that that, uh, unless they can get, again, a legit closer. And the legit closer on the market, Trevor Rosenthal, already got Mm -hmm. traded. I don't see that there's a guy out there that the Cardinals say, that substantially improves my ball club over what I already have. I agree. Isn't it interesting that some of the names that are out there of people that our other clubs are interested in are our former Cardinals, whether it's yeah. a Jose Martinez or Trevor Rosenthal, a Lance Lynn mm-hmm. that a lot of people seem interested in, all people that you know could be contributing to this team right now. Well, there are a lot of outfielders out there, and this is the issue that I've had with the Cardinals in the last couple of years. The Cardinals did not properly evaluate a lot of these guys. They knew what... Tommy Pham was. And by the way, Pham is out for the year. They needed a bat to replace Pham, and that's why they went out and got Mitch Moreland. But when you look at a guy like Oscar Mercado or you look at a guy like Randall Gritchick, you have to say, why is that player not a member of this team? And Luke Voigt, I mm-hmm. don't think, was necessarily properly evaluated here. He wasn't going to get an opportunity here, but I also don't think that he was really properly evaluated as a guy who could be an everyday 
hitter, an everyday bat in the lineup. There's certain pieces that, as the Cardinals moved them, you thought, okay, I can understand the rationale. A lot of people look at Tommy Pham and think, okay, did they move on from him too soon? But at the time, he had injuries. He had the the issues with his vision. A lot of people wondered how that was going to affect him moving forward. And there was that log jam in the outfield. Mm -hmm. It was the carousel that continues to go. But I do wonder if the Cardinals look at some of the pieces that they've traded off and the success that they've had elsewhere, and they wonder if they should have reevaluated or if they would have liked some of those back. Definitely. Some of those moves back. Definitely. And I would think that even a healthy fam, because we talked about it earlier in this season, if you would have had the O'Neill bader fowler outfield, you probably would have preferred, all things being equal, if you take the group of three, fam, Gritchick, and Piscotty. And obviously the reason they traded Stephen Piscotty was beyond baseball. Sure. But from a talent standpoint, you would have rather had the three that you traded away rather than the three that you have. Which is a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> and by the way, Bogarts, I, I I want to go back because I mentioned him, and he is available from the Red Sox, and he is under contract. In the last three years, last two years before this year, OPS is of 883. He had 23 homers, drove in 103 runs in 2018 when they won the championship. Last year, a 939 OPS, 33 homers, 117 RBIs. And then this year, seven homers, 20 RBIs, and an 899 OPS, obviously playing his home games at Fenway. But that would be an interesting guy. That's a guy that you, you plug him in the number two hole in the Cardinal lineup or number four behind Goldschmidt and take your chances. He, he would be, along with Goldie, your best hitter. So, well, that would be a fun move for the Cardinals to make. It's probably not going to happen. What would you? What do you think it would take for that? Uh, they're rebuilding, so you're probably going to... Uh, what you do is you tell them, look, we aren't moving Carlson or Flaherty, mm-hmm. but you move a young pitcher and a young position player. Maybe you have to move a guy like Gorman, but you have four young third basemen now. I would go that direction. Three-time Silver Slugger at shortstop who can pick it. It's not bad. And a two-time World Series champion, too. What's the percentage chance that you're putting on the Cardinals making a move? Five percent. Five, wow. Yeah, and that's only because maybe they'll get that relief pitcher, that Mike DeJean-type relief pitcher that they've acquired in the past. But I don't see them making a move for a substantial player. Do you? No, not at all. I was going to put it at 10-15, but... Mm -hmm. Five is, you know, in the same ballpark. Yeah, it is. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Take it or leave it. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Derek Kearns Moment on 101 ESPN. We invite your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for a little game of Take It or Leave It. Scott Manziara is here. And uh, Michelle, let's start with this. Our friends, the LA Rams, held a scrimmage at SoFi Stadium over the weekend. Their first real exposure to SoFi Stadium. And they said that the, the turf is fast. That's what Jared Goff said. The turf is fast at SoFi Stadium. Take it or leave it, the 2020 L.A. Rams will be as fast as the 1999 St. Louis Rams because of the turf. Leave it. I think I'm going to leave it, too. 
leave it. Yeah. I know that you're doing that tongue in cheek, but I don't even like to play with that. I used to get so angry when they would compare any sort of this new wave Ram stuff to the greatest show on turf. You cannot mention any sort of Sean McVay team no. in the same breath as a Dick Vermeil team. And any team, all due respect to what the Chiefs are doing or the the, the 2009 Saints were probably the closest thing because of the, the wealth of players that they had. And they had a multifaceted guy in Reggie Bush who was kind of a poor man's Marshall Falk. But until you have something close to Marshall Falk, you can't be called GSOT2. There has not been a GSOT2. There never will be a GSOT2. No. No, because the greatest show on turf had to play against defenses that actually played defense. True. And you're not allowed to play defense anymore. And how many Hall of Famers? Four, maybe five? Yep. On that offense? Yeah, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. No way. And and that was no slight to Sean McVay. It's just everybody was so enamored with him that they wanted mm-hmm. to put some sort of a fancy title on that team. And I wasn't into it. I wasn't into it at all. Good. Me either. Okay, Randy, how about this one? Based on what you've seen out of them this season, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But looking back... Take it or leave it. You wish the Cardinals would have made a move to get either Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. Yeah, I'll take it. I liked Machado better, and I still think I would. But I think that for this particular franchise, that would have hamstrung them. So, yeah, while I would have liked to have seen the, the big, sexy move, I think there are guys that they wouldn't keep around. If they signed Machado, for example... Paul Goldschmidt's never here. Mm-hmm. So that would have been their guy, and then they wouldn't have been able to be- add anybody else. It's just interesting. They, they kind of had meh, like blah, first years, nothing to really t- yeah. write home about. But this season, they're still age 27, both of them, and both of them are top 10 players yeah. in the National League. They've really been performing well. Yeah. So it's always fun to look back and say, I wonder how the Cardinals would look if they would have acquired one of those yeah. guys. And the, the problem that we have is, and it's not that the Cardinals can't afford it, but the Cardinals work within the confines of a budget and their budget this year is about $170 million. Well, you've got Molina making 20, you would have Machado making 30, so that'd take up 50 million of it. And then you've got your other 23 players that over the course of 162 games would be making the the rest of the money. It's hard to put together a roster when you have that percentage, when you have essentially a third of it Tied up in two players. Can I give you one more sure. quick one? Yep. Are you surprised that we're almost through the first hour of the show as we're approaching the trade deadline and we haven't even mentioned Nolan Arenado's name? I'm not surprised. <laughs> Nolan, actually, he got hot. He had a game where he had a couple of hits last week. But, man, he had a 10-game stretch where he hit 135. I think he was 5 for 35 with one homer, and that accounted for his one RBI. But they're in the hunt now. If the playoffs started today, Colorado would be in. We just talked about him ad nauseum. I know. It's yeah. so funny that we, we've arrived he's, here and it's he's like, a and, I, and we mentioned our, their four third baseman with the guys that they have had, Gorman, Nunez, and Montero, and now add in your, uh, your first round pick, and you've got four third basemen that are, I think, in your top 17 prospects. And a couple of those guys will never play third, but point is, is you, you might have that guy on your team. Scotty, what do you got for us? 
All right, guys, from the 636, if today was September 30th or September 31st and the playoffs were starting this week. September 31st would be something. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I'm not a big months guy. Okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> from the 636, take it or leave it. If the playoffs were starting this week, then Adam Wainwright would be your game one starter. Leave it. I'm still giving it to Jack Flaherty. Aren't you? Um, I think I might go with Wayno. And then Flaherty in game two. I think I can set things up pretty well because I'm not going to have anybody pitching on three days rest. So if I could have Wainwright in one and five and then Flaherty in two and six, I think I would like that a lot. So I think I'll, I'll go with that. From the 636, take it or leave it. You could currently put a lineup together of former Cardinals throughout the league and it would outperform this current team. I'm going to leave it. I've tried to do it. I was going to say you could put it together. I just don't know if it would outperform yeah. this team. Yeah, because you've got to have a Ledmus Diaz playing uh, shortstop, which isn't great. Donovan Solano for San Francisco, look at him. He's one of the best hitters in the National League. And the Cardinals had him in their system and just let him walk. So he'd be interesting at second or third base. And obviously you could put it, as we mentioned, that outfield together. Fam is hurt now, but Gritchick. Piscotti would be a couple. We mentioned Mercado was not having a good year, but had a really good year last year for Cleveland. There are outfielders out there. Jose Martinez would be your DH. Yep. There's, there's a lot of things that you could do, yeah. And Lance, Luke Voigt as your first baseman. Is Lance Lynn your ace? Yes, he is. <laughs> yeah. From the 636, take it or leave it, Zach Gallen was the most key piece of that Paul Goldschmidt trade. I still think it's going to be Alcantara. I, I know that right now people like the, the Gallen idea. But I still think it's going to be Sandy Alcantara. He's got incredible stuff. This one comes from the 314. Take it or leave it. Adam Wainwright will have another complete game before he retires. I got to take it. He had one yesterday. <laughs> He's capable of it. Yeah. I Against a pretty good team, by the way. Yeah. I'll, I'll take it. I'm not yeah. counting him out moving forward. No. It's, it's not worked out well. <laughs> <laughs> no, when, when we tried to count him out before. We got a St. Louis Blues text from the 314. Take it or leave it. Jake Allen only performs well when he's the number two goalie and someone else is pushing him. Hmm. I think I'm going to have to leave that. If you look at uh, the performance that he's had in the playoffs in the past, his, his playoff numbers are great as a number one goalie. It's not bad to be pushed, but you can pretty much isolate the problems that Jake has had to a couple of Januaries. But you look at uh, what he did as their starter for the majority of the time that he was their number one goalie. He's been pretty good. I don't think that he only performs well as the number two. I do think, though, he's had his chances to be the number one guy. Yep. And it hasn't. he hasn't necessarily seized it or wowed everyone for a consistent stretch to make you believe that he's capable of being the number one guy. I kind of harken back to something that someone brought to our attention about the crowd and the pressure being different for him in an mm-hmm. environment like the bubble. It seems like Jordan Bennington really thrives off the crowd and off the energy and the pressure. Whereas with Jake Gallen, it almost seemed like the opposite was true, where he didn't have the pressure that you normally would have in an environment like this. He seemed to thrive. So that being said, I don't know if I would necessarily make him the number one guy. Yeah, they didn't feel the need to play him at all at home down the stretch in 2019. And I think he only started a couple of home games this past season before they were called off. But if you look at some of his overall playoff years, uh, like 2016, 2017, a 935 
save percentage in 1920 this year uh, in the five games that he played, a 935. Uh, obviously, he didn't play in 2018, 2019, and 897 with a 2.48 in 2015, 2016. So he's had his moments at playoff time. And if you look at his overall numbers, He's, he's had some years, 61 games, 2.42, and a uh, 9.15 save percentage in 16.17. A 9.06, the save percentage not great overall, 2.75 in 2017-18. Uh, then, obviously, in 18-19, when Biddington took over, he played 46 games, a 9.05 and a 2.83. You can win. You want to get to a 9.13, but you can win with a guy with a 9.05 save percentage. This one from the 314, take it or leave it. Jose Martinez is in the starting lineup on Friday against the Cardinals and delivers more than one RBI. I'll take that he's going to be in the lineup. I'm not sure about delivering the RBIs, though. They, they need to get somebody on for him to deliver RBIs. I'll take it that he's in the lineup, and I'll take it that he has a big moment. Okay, I like that. A big moment. A big so maybe moment. Drive it. All right, thank you, Scotty. You got it. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. When you look at the Cardinals' history, has Yadier Molina moved into top 10 range of all-time Cardinal players? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Coming up on 8.03 on 101 ESPN, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Yadier Molina has, Michelle, really made his way into Cardinal lore. 2,000 games played, third in Cardinal history. Of all the players in Major League history, only 244 position players have played in 2,000 or more games. And by the way, of those 244, 99 are in the Hall of Fame, but he's now, even with Red Shane Deanst on the Cardinals' all-time hit list, he's going to tie Johnny Mize with his next home run. He's seven bases, now uh, six bases away from tying Jim Bottomley for total bases. He's far, five RBIs from catching Ted Simmons. He's had a remarkable Cardinal career. Would you put him top ten all-time Cardinals, Randy? I believe that I would. And I. this tells you how great the Cardinals have been that he's right on the edge of all-time Cardinals. But I think that I would put him on my all-time list. Okay, let's construct the list. There's about five, six guys that you're going to write in Sharpie, okay? We've got Stan Musial, right? Bob Mm -hmm. Gibson. Albert Pujols is in the mix there, Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Ozzie Smith, Lou Brock, probably Rogers Hornsby, right, Randy? Yep. Okay, so that leaves four spots, potentially, that you could have Yachty or Molina assume in the top ten list. So would you put him over Dizzy Dean? I think I would put him over Dizzy Dean. What about Enos Slaughter? Enos Slaughter was a really good player for a long time, but I think when you look at the overall numbers that Yachty has delivered and the position that he's played, I would put him ahead of Enos Slaughter. What about Red Shandies? Yes, definitely ahead of Red Shandies. What about What about a, a more recent guy? What about Jim Edmonds? I think, again, because of the length of service and what Yachty has done behind the plate for this team, I would put him ahead of him. As a matter of fact, I'm at this point now, and I understand that Ted Simmons had a higher overall war for the Cardinals than Yachty. But I think that Yachty is the Cardinals' number one catcher of all time. Wow. 
Isn't that amazing that you can even have that debate with two catchers of two of, Hall of Fame catchers, Hall of Fame catchers in the same yeah. organization that are that good? So it, it, he has been amazing. So yeah, I think that. And by the way, among position players, he is number ten all time in WAR. Michelle, I I, I do think that, and, and Gibson stands alone among pitchers, and Wayno is up there in terms of the time spent and what he's delivered for the team. I, For me, it's pretty easy to get Yadier Molina into the top 10. I agree. I'm looking at some of these other names of all-time great Cardinals, and you can easily make the argument that Yadier's in the top 10. Yeah, and there are guys that don't have the raw numbers, like Bruce Suter is an all-time great Cardinal, Hall of Famer, with the, the STL on his cap. But... Did he, in 81, 82, 83, 84, in those four years, do enough to eclipse what Yachty has been able to accomplish now in 16 years with the club? And you're, you've caught for a couple of world champions and a couple of other pennant winners. You've been part of essentially a dynasty in terms of making the playoffs every year. You've handled mm-hmm. the pitching staff so well, and that's something that we just don't have a metric for. But he's been amazing at handling the pitching staff and Far and away, the Cardinals with Yadier Molina behind the plate have had fewer steal attempts against them than any other team in baseball. There are so many things that we get to see with the fact that we get to watch Yadier play every day. I I, I think that that's really what you have to do is you have to look beyond just the box scores with Yadier Molina to really see his greatness. And we're lucky that we get a chance to see him every day. Yeah, the box scores have been strong enough to put him in that conversation. But the length of time with the organization, the consistent success the entire time, the championships, the records that he's holding, the fact that he's been the face of your franchise and a huge part of your culture. There's so many factors that go into this. So where would you even put him then on the top 10? At number seven? Okay, I'm going to have Musial as my number one. Okay. And then I... I'm. This I, I have Bob Gibson as my number two. Me too. And then Pujols. Okay. And then probably Hornsby, Ozzy. Oh wow! I um, thought you'd have Ozzy higher. The thing Ozzy was the best defensive shortstop in the history of the game. But when you look at what the other position players did offensively. Uh, he, he just doesn't me- measure up. I would say that even though Kem Boyer won an MVP and a couple of, uh, or a World Series for the Cardinals, I think Yachty is right there with Ken Boyer. I, like I said, I like him better than Slaughter. I like him better than Simmons at this point. I like him better than Kurt Flood. So, yeah, I think so. Do you have him above Brock? Yes, because of his catching. So, so then according to my notes here, that puts him at number six pretty, all time. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. And still going. Yeah. So, And if you're just going to go by the numbers, whatever you want to choose, whether you want to choose OPS or war or hits or whatever numbers you choose, then he probably is right on the edge of being top 10 because you definitely put guys like Simmons and for sure, Ken Boyer and Enos Slaughter and maybe even Kurt Flood. You put those guys ahead of him, but I look at what he did behind the plate, and this is just my personal view. 
his overall game. That's why I would put him as high as I do. This is going to be difficult to do on the fly, but where do you put Adam Wainwright in that conversation? Top 15? Top 20? Yes, because Adam Wainwright is a top three pitcher now in Cardinal history. If you look at Gibby being number one, you have Dizzy Dean, you have Harry Burkeen. I would say that Adam is absolutely a top three Cardinal pitcher of all time. So that clearly gets him into the top 15 all, all time. I, I think that's pretty easy for me. Do you have where do you place Chris Carpenter in that conversation? I don't know that I can get Carpenter to the top twenty. It's going to be hard. Wow. He was he he was great, but he wasn't great for long enough for the Cardinals. And he even when he got here, he had all those injury issues. So as much as I love the guy, and I think for that era, he was dominant. As a matter of fact, for that era, two thousand three to. 2011, he's your number one. He's ahead of Wainwright. He's ahead of anybody else there in terms of pitchers. But his era actually was 2004 to 2011, and he missed a couple of seasons in there. So that's what makes it difficult to put Carp in there all the time. If you want to put, if you want to make an emotional choice, then you could easily put Carp in there as your in your top 15 all time. I always just think of everything he he gave you. I always think about NLDS Game 5, that epic battle with Roy Halladay. I think about just you knew that if you gave him the ball and if he was healthy, he would deliver. Right. And I look at what Adam Wainwright is because of somebody like Chris Carpenter. So I would put him in the top 20. But you know that I I have an affection for Chris Carpenter. Absolutely. Here's (laughs) the thing with, with Carpenter. He, for the Cardinals... He started, actually, surprisingly, 197 games, but he pitched one game in 2007 and four games in 2008. So the only real years he gave you were 04, 05, 06, 9, 10, and 11. That was it. He, he, he pitched for you for six years. And th- those were a fabulous six years, but Gibson pitched for you for 17. And Wainos pitched for you for, what, 5, 15. So it's just different. A lot of people checking in and asking about Willie McGee, where you would place Willie McGee in this conversation. This is, that's another, if you want to make an emotional choice, then you can put Willie in your top 15 easily. I just, I think Edmonds was a better center fielder overall, offensively and defensively. So while I would go with Edmonds as my number one center fielder, if, if I can't even put Willie in my top as my top center fielder, it's going to be hard to put him in my my top 10 of players. But top 25, easily, easily top 25. And I could probably sneak him into my top 20 very easily. And by, by the way, in terms, like Whitey said, in terms of popularity, he's probably number one all time. Number one all time. Well, that's what Whitey said. Is it aside from Musial? He said he's the most. Uh, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, the most popular Cardinal ever, aside from Stan. Which is pretty good, seeing that he played his entire career here with Ozzie Smith. I was just going to ask you that because obviously you covered those teams. He was more popular than Ozzie Smith. I think people retroactively look at that. Ozzie led the league, led everybody in All Star votes every year. So. I think Ozzy was the man, but I think when Willie came back, that was what made the difference. When he came back and he hit a home run, a game-winning home run on uh, in 1997, I think that gave him a lot of aura. And I think it, him as a bench player really got into people's minds. 
I actually think he was more popular the second time around than the first time around. And the way he was treated the first time around was not fair. The, the way he left here, he should never have left. He should never have not been a Cardinal. He should have started his career and ended his career as a member of this franchise. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Next up, we talk to the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and head into the Blues booth with the voice of your St. Louis Blues, Chris Kerber, joining us on a Monday morning, as he always does, on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, how you doing? Randy, doing well today. How are you? Everything's good. I'm, I'm intrigued by all these former Blues and St. Louisans that are still in the playoffs. And I think that's one of the reasons that I'm so intrigued by the the Golden Knights, even though I hate Peter DeBoer, I, I want Revo and I want Stastny <laughs> to do well. And that's an interesting series with the way that the Blues played against Vancouver to see the Golden Knights step up and just kind of blow them away in the third period was really impressive. Yeah. See, that's, that's the part that I, I've always found frustrating over the years is if you, you know, there, there's there's playing really well and losing, right? And and that's going to happen. So, I mean, sometimes the game's just not going to go your way. You're not going to get some breaks. But then there's what happened with the Blues this year in the first round, and it wasn't playing very well and losing, and it was a team that was beatable. And, and to me, those are the frustrating ones, the, the, the ones that irritate you more, because I don't know that the Blues would have beaten the Vegas Golden Knights in seven games. I do know it could have been one hell of a series. And um, I, the way you look at it, they don't get that chance. So, you know, there's some really some good rooting interest on just about all the way through with, with the rest of these teams. I was thinking this morning, though, I'm like, man, you realize, like, like Las Vegas was a really bad five-minute major call and then a, just a, a penalty kill that faltered away from going at least to the second round, if not even further uh, I mean, for the first three years of its existence. It's really phenomenal what they've done since they came into the league. Um, Curbs, one of the things that we've constantly been talking about, obviously, is Alex Petrangelo and his future with or without the Blues. But one of the things that I'm really intrigued in is Justin Falk. We had Army on at the end of last week, and I asked him to evaluate Justin Falk's first season with the Blues, and he said, you know, paraphrasing, not exactly as we expected it would be. But he also really acknowledged, hey, we didn't give him a, a consistent role, a more defined role. Based on what you saw out of him this season, do you think if the Blues were to take that step that, you would see Justin Falk be more of the player that they thought that they acquired? Yeah, you know, when Joe Vitale broke his game down uh, in the first round, he thought he might have been our most consistent defenseman in in the playoffs this year. So I, I, I'd agree. I mean, we were saying it for quite a while on the air that one of the issues that we think that was there with Justin Falk was he didn't have a home. I mean, that was the way I was putting it. it uh, he's You're on the right side on a, on the third pair with, with – Vince Dunn, you're on the left side with Colton Pareko. You're on the left side with Alex Petrangelo. At one point, he was on the right side with Colton Pareko. I mean, there's just so many different places. Um, he wasn't out there, you know, penalty killing in, in that first group every single time, although, I mean, he was doing some penalty killing. Obviously, he was used to playing on the power play with Carolina. Now, very little power play time here. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know that he ever really, truly got comfortable in that role and, and, and kind of 
I don't even, and, and I guess we don't even know what role it is. I guess that that's more your point there. So yeah, I agree with with Army in that there was just the way the defense shook out this year. It was just really hard, I think, for him to kind of know exactly. You know what's expected, but I think it's hard to find any kind of a rhythm with the way that part was going there. So if Petrangelo does leave, I, I would expect a much more consistent role and scenario out of Justin Falk, without a doubt. No doubt about it. But if they're able to find a way to keep Petro curbs, I look at the the year, the overall year that Justin Falk had, and we can uh, you, you take in the 70 that they played during the regular season and then the eight during the playoffs. Even if he had played like he did in Carolina with a flat cap, that's going to be a difficult contract to move. I don't know that there's teams out there that are prepared to add that sort of a contract right now. And I think that's another thing that makes it prohibitive for the Blues to keep Petro. Well, and and I don't think that in the interview that I did with Doug Armstrong, I, I don't necessarily think that it's one or the other. I mean, when he mentioned the core defensively for this group, he mentioned Petrangelo, Pareko, and Falk. You know, I mean, so I'm, I'm not I'm not sure yet just how that part will shake out. Now, I mean, it does make a it, if you were to sign Petrangelo and you and you keep Justin Falk, I'm not sure how the Vince Dunn part works in there. You know, mm-hmm. so that, uh, that 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 could end up being one more than the other. Now you've got a, a a puck moving mobile guy in Perunovic, right? That that's coming along the way there. So I and and then there's Mikola who who was brought up too. It, to me, the defensive scheme of what's going to happen this offseason is really fascinating. The, the bigger question to me along those lines, Randy, it ends up being if you if you do resign Petrangelo, are you in the same boat with Justin Falk? Or, I mean, can he get playing the left side figured out? Can, can a guy – and now Pareko didn't mind playing it. I asked him a lot about it. He said, you know, didn't bother him at all. He said some parts are actually easier. You know, so does Pareko maybe slide over, you know, either up with Petrangelo or on the left side, Falk on the right? Uh, I don't know that he ever looked completely comfortable on the left in terms of Justin Falk. So to me, if you do resign Petrangelo, and, and you know coming in within a couple of years, you're looking at another raise for Pareko, you're talking about a scenario here where I'm not sure that three defensemen all making $7 million or more at some point in time mm-hmm. – you know, with with any one of those guys potentially in your third pair is the way you're looking at it. Curbs is going to be an interesting puzzle for Army to figure out, but based on what you saw in the bubble, do you think that the Blues need to hang on to Jake Allen? Ooh, yeah, see that that's a real that's a great. I, I'm not sure that they can, so I, I guess I'm going with that. Look, I, I I think if if Jake wants to come back and you could hang on to him, the, the simple answer is yes. I mean, I, I think they, these two proved to be a really, really good tandem together. And again, it's at an extremely manageable level at at just over $9 million for the two of them. You know, and I always I keep comparing that to a, a Carey Price or a Sergei Bobrovsky situation, you know, or along those kind of lines. So, but you've got Billy Husso on a one-way contract. So I think part of your evaluation process now is, do you think Billy Husso is ready to be a backup in the National Hockey League. The other side of it, though, is you just may not have much of a choice. You know, so first off, if you sign him to a one-way contract, you're going to take a chance, put him on waivers. There's a good chance you could lose the guy. And this is assuming that you don't make a move. The flip side is you're going to need you're going to need some cap space anyway. Even if you don't sign Petranzo, you're going to need some cap space 
And it looks like that plan and that scenario is the one that still kind of makes the most sense. Um, because the challenge is, Michelle, is if you, at least in my opinion here, if, if you keep Jake and you risk losing Huso, you're going to have to go find a backup somewhere else, uh, somewhere along the lines. You're either going to have to sign for Springfield, and that's if the American League plays, right, uh, or, or something or other, because your goaltending depth situation in terms of an experience level takes a really, really big hit there, and we all know that you can't have that. So um, so the, the, the evaluation of David Alexander, uh, our goalie coach of Billy Huso, I think to me is a critical piece to this offseason. And another part of this curbs is that you have to make a goalie available for Seattle next offseason, right? Well, there, yeah, there's that too. Now, and then they, it's who you bring up and, and how you play that, right? So, um, you know, you play all this and they're the flat cap and then you've got the expansion draft. And they're going to be going with the same expansion draft rules that Las Vegas had. So, to keep it real simple, you'd have to expose one goalie. Uh, you could, what I think, I think it was three defensemen and six... Uh, and six forwards you could protect. Mm-hmm, right. So, you know, th- th- there's, yeah, p- part of that has to play a role in it and how you're going to move your roster forward. I, I think, man, I, I, if you go back and you look at Stanley Cup champion winners over the last six, seven years, and you look at some of the roster turnover that has, one, been uncontrollable because of salary cap or raises or what have you, the Blues are, in, uh, to me, another real intriguing window. When they lost, when they lost, uh, did, did lost to Colorado and didn't make the playoffs a couple years ago. I thought it was one of the most critical off seasons of Doug uh, Armstrong's tenure because the right move could get you going the right direction. The wrong move could get you going the other way. And obviously he made the right move. This one to me takes on another level because you can right now, the salary cap and how this could all work out. Plus uh, an expansion draft on the other side. It has the chance to advance you right out of that window as much as you have a chance to keep yourself in it. And so I, I mean, it's, I, I guess in the end, I still come back to one simple thing. If this is going to continue to roll for the St. Louis Blues, some of those younger players are going to have to start filling in some, some roles and filling in some roles very effectively. Uh, because they're going to need some of those younger players to keep some cost certainty involved. Curbs, before we let you go, as we sit here right now getting ready for the Final Four, is there a team that you've picked out that you think is a clear favorite for the Stanley Cup? No, I, I don't know that there's a clear favorite. The, the Dallas Stars are intriguing me you know, with, with what they're doing to Colorado. Now, Colorado's dealing with injuries. There's no Grubauer. There's no Johnson. You know, they're They're definitely... Uh, they're nicked up and banged up, and they're showing, and, and that goalie change winds up being a, a critical hit for them. Uh, so, you know, Dallas is kind of coming together as a, as a complete team right now, which uh, makes them intriguing. Uh, the way Tampa is handling the way Tampa is handling the uh, the Boston Bruins is really impressive. Mm-hmm. But guys, I'm, I'm not. I mean, it's going to take something fierce to beat the, the New York Islanders. I mean, you just can't rule them out. There's nothing flashy. There's, there's nothing, you know, and I mean, there's a St. Louis on the team, which gives you a reason to root for him. Right. Uh, Barry Trotz is, is, is such a good guy. So there's another rooting interest, but, um, I, I, uh, if I would rank them right now, I would, I would rank them almost just because of the way they're defending. I would say Islanders, Vegas, Tampa, and then Dallas. If I were to rank them one through four in terms of chances, I just, the way the Islanders are defending right now, I mean, that it's it's the old Lou Lamorella way of winning a championship. 
No doubt. Curbs, always great to have you with us. We will hear you on our blues-related programming during the course of the week. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. All right, have a great start to the week, guys. Talk to you soon. You too. That's the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joining us here on 101 ESPN. There's a lot that Doug Armstrong has to deal with. He's, he signed a bunch of guys. We When we talked to him last week, he talked about the value, and I read it as necessity, of keeping a, a guy like Jaden Schwartz around. I think that's a, another contract that the Blues have to look at this offseason because you've got him under contract for next year. I don't think he can afford to, to have with Tarasenko's and the lack of left wings on your roster. I don't think you can afford to have him walking into free agency next year. Army's got a list of questions, the length of a CVS receipt (laughs) that he's got to deal with. It's really long (laughs) that he's got to deal with this offseason. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, The Fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to The Fight on Carriker Welcome back to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 835, which means it's time for the fight. Let's welcome in our first fighter of the week. Mark is with us. Mark, good morning. How are you doing today? Hey, Michelle. Good morning. Doing great. It's my anniversary today, so hopefully I can uh, get a win. Oh, my gosh. Well, Mark, how many years have you been married? 19 wonderful years. 19 years. Well, happy anniversary, Mark. Now I have so many questions. How did you meet your significant (laughs) other? I want to hear the story here. It was that uh, we had a friend that uh, used to watch hockey in his basement, had a blue light when the Blues would score, met her there, and then at Joan of Arc and a picnic or their carnival, we really started talking and then hit it off. Oh, my gosh. I love that story. And now I, I, I thank you, Scott. I um, am sensing that you're a Blues fan, and I'm looking at the questions, and we have no hockey questions today. So hopefully you fare well in the fight. Okay, Mark? Yeah, it's the trade deadline edition. Yeah, bring one home for, for your wife here. Okay, question number one, Mark. The Cardinals made a deadline deal back in 1997 to acquire what player? Was it Fernando Tatis, Willie McGee, or Mark McGuire? Uh, I believe that was Mark McGuire. All right, question number two for you, Mark. Manny Ramirez was traded on deadline day back in 2008 to what team? Was it the Dodgers, the Indians, or the Astros? I'm going to say the Indians. Mark, question number three. When the Cardinals acquired Matt Holliday, who traded him? The A's, the Rockies, or the Yankees? Um... Over the, I'm sorry, just go over the choices. Yankees and who? So when the Cardinals acquired Matt Holliday, who traded him? Was it the A's, the Rockies, or the Yankees? I believe that was the Rockies. And your final question, Mark. In 2017, the Astros acquired what pitcher in August at the waiver trade deadline? Was it Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, or Zach Greinke? I'm going to say Garrett Cole. Okay, checking score here. Mark, just in case you didn't win the fight, did you get your wife a gift? <laughs> uh, no, not yet. Okay. Well, All my eggs are in this basket. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> is she listening? No. I was going to say, you should tell her to, to 
tune in. You can give her a shout out. That can be the gift, whether you win or lose. Randy, say good morning to Mark. It is Mark's anniversary today. Mark, happy anniversary. Thanks, Randy. And uh, how many years are we into this? 19. Congrats. Good for you. For real, 19. Thank you, thank you. That's a great amount of time. It is. People, people don't make it. I'm, I'm pumped for these two crazy kids, Randy. People don't make it that long anymore. <laughs> All right, Randy, question number one. The Cardinals made a deadline deal back in 1997 to acquire what player? 1997 would have been uh, the Mark McGuire trade. Question number two for you, Randy. Manny Ramirez was traded on deadline day back in 2008 to what team? 2008. 2000 really was it 2008 that would have been uh the the doyers randy when the cardinals acquired matt holiday who traded him oakland to the cardinals and your final question randy in 2017 the astros acquired what pitcher in august at the waiver trade deadline justin verlander we've got a winner go crazy folks go crazy we have a winner and still champion randy Tire and Auto Centers, your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Mark, you might want to head to the store. Here's a tip. Jewelry <laughs> always plays. But Rand- Randy beat you four to one today. Let's run through the answers here. When the Cardinals made that deadline deal back in 1997, they acquired Mark McGuire. Manny Ramirez was traded in 2008 back on deadline day to the Dodgers. I bought a Manny Ramirez number 99 jersey. <laughs> you did? Yep. Interesting. Yeah. Wouldn't have fun. expected that from Joe you. Joe Torrey was her manager. Oh, I was okay. a fan, so it was cool. There you go. I was going to say, there's got to be some connect there. And when the Cardinals acquired Matt Holiday, they got him from the A's. And in 2017, the Astros acquired Justin Verlander in August at the waiver trade deadline. Mark, thanks for playing. Have a great anniversary. All right. It's always fun, guys. Thanks. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Mark. Good to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Michelle, did you get a chance to see or see the highlights of the end of the golf tournament yesterday, the BMW Championship in Chicago? I read the headlines this morning. Crazy putt. I can't wait to go back and look at the highlights. It was the second crazy putt. Dustin Johnson hit a crazy putt that went uh, right, left, right, left to t- tie the tournament, send it into the and, – and his was like a 28-footer to send it into the uh, sudden death, and then obviously the 66-footer by John Rahm to win it. It was un- unbelievable. What a great finish. 66-footer. Yeah, and actually, I, I told my daughter, I said, Katie, this is an impossible putt. And even on TV, Dan Hicks was talking about how uh, this will be the most difficult two-putt of John Rahm's career. <laughs> Nobody thought that it would go in, and he hits it to win the tournament. It was amazing. Do you think if they gave you a thousand tries, you could even get close? I could get close with a thousand tries. I might even be able to get close with a hundred tries, but it going in, it's all luck. It, it was unbelievable. So they've got the tour championship next week at East Lake, and Tiger is not a part of it. Tiger did not finish in the top forty, so he's not part of the tour championship this year. And actually, the top ten, uh, you'll know about half of the guys that are playing in the top 10 next year next week but the top guys you're going to you might have Rory there his wife is expecting Dustin Johnson will be there Rom who has been number 1 in the world you're still going to have a pretty good tournament next week that's Michelle I'm Randy coming up NFL camps and cuts are happening we've got NFL quick hits next on 101 ESPN we're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN <laughs> All right, we're headed towards cut-down day, and we are 
about 10 days away from the opener of the 2020 NFL season. A lot happening, Michelle. What do we got? All right. First things first, Randy. This is the news of the day. The Jaguars have waived Leonard Fournette after just three seasons. They announced it a couple, I don't know, maybe a half hour ago. And like I said, three-year run. He rushed for 2,631 yards, 17 touchdowns. They didn't pick up his fifth-year option during the offseason. They were actively pursuing a trade without receiving really any serious offers on Leonard Fournette. So they made the move today to waive him. And last year, Fournette was seventh in the NFL in rushing yards with a career-best 1,152. What strikes me about this, Michelle, is that you had a team that in 2017 was a quarter away from going to the Super Bowl. The Jaguars were in the AFC Championship game against New England and had the lead. Not only did they have Fournette as their bell cow on offense, and by the way, Blake Bortles was their quarterback, but they had six Pro Bowl players on defense. You had Yannick Nguike, who was traded to the Vikings yesterday. Jalen Ramsey traded to the Rams. Their other cornerback, A.J. Boye, traded to the Broncos. Calais Campbell traded to the Ravens. Malik Jackson released, and then Telvin Smith retired. Six Pro Bowlers on a defense that two seasons ago was in the AFC Championship game playing for a chance to go to the Super Bowl. None of those pro bowlers or any of the key offensive performers on that team are around anymore, and it's only been 32 games. Is that more of a breakdown than the Texans, than what we've seen Bill O'Brien do? I think it is, yeah. And we all wanted, because the team would be here, we wanted Shad Khan mm-hmm. to be the owner of the Rams. Shad Khan is not doing a great job running that organization. Think they're off to London? I could see it. I absolutely could. At least more games in London. Maybe not completely, but I could see them playing a good portion of their schedule in London in the future. Well, speaking of the Texans, Randy, as I mentioned, remember they moved on from DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins because they didn't want to pay him? Well, they want to pay somebody. Linebacker Zach Cunningham. The Texans and Cunningham have agreed to a four-year extension worth $58 million and over $23 million guaranteed. That's an average of $14.5 million over the life of the contract if it's fully realized. Hopkins, by the way, making $12.5 million in 2020 in Arizona. Okay, so I don't pay as much attention to the league as I used to. This is the first I've heard of Zach Cunningham. <laughs> right. I would take that $58 million I don't care how how good Zach Cunningham is. I can tell you this. He's not as good as Khalil Mack. He's not Lawrence Taylor. Take that $58 million or whatever you just gave Zach Cunningham. You should have given that to DeAndre Hopkins and let Cunningham be the guy that leaves your organization. Can you imagine if you're a Texans fan and you look oh. at this deal and you say, wait, okay, he's making 14 and a half and DeAndre Hopkins is making 12 and a half? Unbelievable. Pretty stupid. <laughs> you got to be frustrated if you're a Texans fan, that's for sure. All right, Randy, a lot of people around here are interested in the Bears and their quarterback situation. And their head coach, Matt Nagy, revealed that he is not going to announce who the starting quarterback is going to be until the first game. So it's going to be a battle down to the wire between Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles. Well... You kind of hope, if you're the opposition, that it's Trubisky because you really don't have to prepare for him. You just let him throw the ball to you. (laughs) And Nick Foles has won a Super Bowl. Nick Foles has gone from the absolute valley, playing quarterback for Jeff Fisher, to the mountaintop, winning a Super Bowl, and has done magical things. He beat the Patriots. He had uh, the Philly special. Hey, it's going to be Nick Foles. It can't be Mitchell Trubisky. It's got to be Nick Foles. 
It's interesting, too, without the media presence that you would normally get, you'd be getting more updates mm-hmm. on what everyone's seeing out of which quarterback. So I wonder who's performing better in camp. Because what if Trubisky's performing really, really, really well in camp? Then that general manager is going to try to justify trading up to the second pick in the draft to get Mitchell Trubisky, and they're going to do everything they can. And I'm sure they went into camp doing everything they could to get Trubisky to win the job. But when it comes down to wins and losses, if you're a general manager that might be on your last legs, you got to take the guy that gives you the best chance to win. So, as you mentioned them trading up to Trubisky. They had some stock in him. In three seasons, here's his, here's his numbers, Randy. 23 and 18 as starting quarterback. 63.4% of his passes were completed. 48 touchdowns, 29 interceptions. He has an 85.8 passer rating. And he is playing under that fifth-year club option on that rookie contract. So if Nick Foles gets the job, then he's you can say goodbye to Mitchell mm-hmm. Trubisky, right? But where, yep. where do you think he would land? Trubisky? Mm-hmm. Somebody would sign him as a backup. You know, he, he's a guy that could land as a backup, go home to Carolina or something like that. But 45 and 29, 63.8% completion percentage is actually pretty good. I'm sure that there's somebody out there that would say, hey, we can work with this and make him better. He did go 12 and 4 and was a bad kick away from getting a playoff win just a year ago. So there is some talent there. The big problem is, is that they traded up to get him and Patrick Mahomes wound up going 10th in that draft. Yikes. Yeah. So Yikes. he's thrown, did we say 49? And Mahomes threw 50 in one season. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Not great. No. Okay, another quarterback conversation, Randy. The Patriots don't know who's going to be under center for them. They said that uh, they're going to wait to announce if it's going to be Cam Newton or Jared said in Belichick. Randy, the quote, when we're ready to do it, we'll do it. We're ready to do it. We'll do it. I have a feeling that they're going to wind up playing both of those guys and that it'll be a timeshare until either one guy steals the job or they determine that Stidham is the guy. I really don't think that in the long term they want to give the big money to Cam Newton because of his injury history. I have to believe they'd want Stidham to win the job. But if he can't, then they have a nice fallback in case with Cam Newton. I wonder if Belichick's going to approach it like, hey, we really like Stidham. We like what he's going to give us. Why not see what we can get out of Cam Newton first? Yeah, you could do that. And the the thing with that is you know that if Cam Newton plays well, you aren't going to be able to re-sign him. And if he plays poorly, then you don't want him back anyway. So you might as well take your time evaluating him because you do have Stidham for the long term. How much do you think Cam has left? It's impossible to say for me because I don't know if he'll ever be healthy again. To me, the biggest concern about him is the shoulder. Mm -hmm. It's not anything with the legs because he actually was a pretty good thrower. And we all loved what he did with his legs, but we knew that you can't, there are no, there's no such thing as an old running quarterback, right? So you have to see what his arm is and see what his shoulder is. If his shoulder's fine, then he's fine. I, I would take him on my team. We throw the term X-factor around a lot, but Cam Newton truly is an X-factor for the Patriots here. Do you think if he gives you glimpses of what Cam Newton has been that you still like the Patriots as a as a team to compete? In that division, I do, because I'm not sold on Buffalo, I'm not sold on Miami, and I'm certainly not sold on the Jets. So I think you have to look at that. Even though they've had all the opt-outs and all the people that aren't playing, because they are the Patriots, until they aren't, 
great anymore. You have to believe they're going to be. So until Trevor Lawrence gets there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can have for, Yeah. I wonder if when Belichick has his communication with Trevor Lawrence, if he wants him to play or not play. Oh, that's a good question. Probably not play to preserve himself, right? I would think so. But Don't here's a guy that is all about a player's competitive level. And obviously he says the most important ability is availability. Mm-hmm. Does he care about him being available to Clemson, though? Or is it more about being available to the Patriots? The Patriots, of course. Yeah. And Trevor Lawrence seems like a guy who wants to play, yeah. who has that competitive fire. But this is a really unusual set of circumstances. So I could mm-hmm. see Bill Belichick, if Trevor Lawrence, if he decided not to play, saying, okay, we understand. Yeah. You know, just make sure you wrap, wrap him in bubble wrap and get him to New England. Yeah. What are the odds, by the way, that there are one or two weeks where, whether it really happens or not, the Patriots have a massive COVID outbreak that costs them like 20 players in back-to-back games so that they're guaranteed to lose them against bad teams? So are you insinuating, Randy, that Bill Belichick would potentially somehow orchestrate that? Yeah, he's tanking for Trevor. Come on. I don't know if he would. I mean, listen, he's done some stuff. I don't know if he would somehow release a virus within I, the team. I guarantee you he was calling these players and say, hey, opt out, come back next year when everything's better. I guarantee it. Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall in those conversations? Yeah. And by the way, it was, uh, hey, opt out this year and then come back next year. Do you think he's a texter? Yes. So Definitely. I, I have someone <laughs> that I text with that will just text me sometimes, hey, period. Or awesome, period. Thanks, period. And in my mind, that's how Belichick texts. Yeah. Just, hey, Bill, you know, I just want to let you know I got a doctor's appointment. All the updates are great. I'm ready to go. Thanks, period. I just imagined him a one word, period. That's it. That might be. I could see that. Remember at the Super Bowl when McVeigh said that he got texts from Belichick all the time, and then Belichick got pissed, and I guess the texts quit coming. But Eli Drinkwitz is a text buddy with Belichick. Interesting. So is TLR. Do you think now that we know Eli Drinkwitz is a text buddy with him that he will stop getting the text? I don't think Belichick has found out yet. <laughs> <laughs> one more quick one for you, Randy. Another quarterback thing. The Eagles really need Carson Wentz to stay healthy this season. And he left practice on Sunday with what's being described as a soft tissue injury. You know, positive here is he's being listed as day to day and it's viewed as a minor injury. But still, if you're an Eagles fan, not a headline that you want to see. That is uh, scary stuff because Philadelphia has a lot of issues that Jason Peters, we've seen, he wants a raise to move back to left tackle because they lost Andre Dillard, their starting left tackle. And if you're missing Wentz and 40% of your offensive line, you've got real problems. By the way, Nate Sudfeld is the nominal number two quarterback for the Eagles, but their lying in wait is Jalen Hurts. So if you're Carson Wentz, I would think that you want to get healthy. But if you're an Eagles fan planning on winning this year, you have to have him healthy. I'm intrigued to see what Jalen Hurts becomes in the NFL. So am I. I'm a big fan of his. I am too. Did you see what he did with the blue backpack with the kid? No. So a, a kid had a blue backpack and his mom tweeted the picture because she had it embroidered with Jalen Hurts. And I think the kid's name was Alexander. So Hurts had a blue pack, backpack name uh, made with Alexander on it. Awesome. And then set it back and showed the kid that he's wearing that ba- he's using that backpack every day. Ugh.
How special is yeah, that? Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Thank you, Michelle. You got it, Randy. Those are your NFL quick hits on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to head back to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Scott Miller is going to join us. Of course, he's co-written a couple of books that we're well aware of with Bob Tewksbury and Rick Ankiel. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Coming up on 904, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And we head now to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Scott Miller, the uh, lead MLB columnist for Bleacher Report joins us on 101 ESPN. Of course, he wrote that book, 90% Mental, a couple of years ago with uh, the former Cardinal Bob Tewksbury. That's a great read. Scott, thanks so much for joining us this morning on Trade Deadline Day in MLB. How are you doing? Real good, Randy. Nice to be with you. Thanks for the nod to the Tewksbury book that just came out in uh, paperback this spring. And I loved it, and it's something, I don't know if you thought this as you were writing it, but it's something that people that aren't pro athletes can use. This is, uh, it's actually a book where you can take something out of it and apply it to your regular life. Yeah, you know, actually, it's funny you mentioned that. I did think of that while I was writing it and while I was researching and, and, you know, working through things with Bob and the whole mental skills approach to not just baseball, but life. And not only did I think of it while I was writing it, but boy, I've thought of it several times this summer as we're all cooped up in our houses and during this pandemic and, you know, just what everybody's going through. And, uh, yeah, I try the big thing I try to remember coming out of that book among the many things is, uh, uh, you know, that having a positive attitude is a choice. And I go back to, you know, in the morning, sometimes, you know, you, you lose your car keys and you, you, you know, a couple things go wrong. You burn your toast and it, it, we've all been there and, and, and we think, Oh my God, it's just, it's going to be one of those days. And if you let yourself think that right, then about five more bad things happen. But if you realize that in the moment and you call a timeout, you say, wait a minute, (laughs) it doesn't have to be one of those days, even though I've lost the car keys and burnt the toast, I can still, you know, let's just reset here. Things like that, you know, coming out of the whole mental skills approach to baseball life are, are helpful. Scott, I think there's a lot of fan bases out there that are going to need that message. A positive attitude is a choice. (laughs) (laughs) They might be wanting their team to make a move today as the trade deadline approaches at 3 p.m. Central Time. But what's, in your opinion, the biggest move that you think might be made or the biggest name that we should pay attention to that is being discussed? Uh, Great, great segue there, Michelle. And uh, you're right. You're right. Um, (laughs) You know, I, I, pitching seems to, it's always about pitching and, um, you know, and, and there's no Justin Verlander on the market this year. And, and, you know, obviously the guy that Houston acquired at the, in the August trade deadline in 2017 and, and, and helped Houston win that world series. No, nobody to that level, but, uh, you know, there are a couple of good ones on the market. I, I still think that Mike Clevenger is going to be on the move uh, with Cleveland. I just, what happened with him and Zach Plesak a couple of weeks ago really seemed to uh, change things with, with the way the Indians view them, uh, 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 view those two pitchers. Of course, Plesak still being at the, as we're calling it now, the alternate training site. They never did add him back to the team. Uh, Clevenger, they did add back, but. Uh, you know, Cleveland really needs some uh, some offense. That that their outfielders combined hit are hitting like 183 
uh, worst in baseball. And they, they've got a little bit of excess pitching. So I think Clevenger moves. I mean, you know, I, and I think it's going to be an interesting team. I mean, you know, one that doesn't always out, go out there and get guys. I mean, I know Atlanta's interested. Toronto's interested. San Diego, I keep an eye on San Diego. I, they're, they're going crazy out there with A.J. Preller at the helm of the general manager. They've already, you know, acquired Trevor Rosenthal from Kansas City and Mitch Moreland from Boston and uh and, um, you know, that trade with Seattle yesterday to upgrade their catching with Austin Nola. Um, Josh Hader in Milwaukee, that's another one that interests me. You know, you would think initially, why would the Brewers move him? But it's a crazy National League this year. The Brewers 15 and 18, third in the Central, behind the Cubs in St. Louis, of course. And, I mean, I look at the standings today. There's just four of the 15 National League teams are over 500. And there's really only one team out of it. The, the, the only team that isn't going to be in the playoffs for sure is the Pirates. So everybody should be looking. Scott, yep. I want to go back to the Padres for a moment because people are saying, well, why would they want to do that against the, when they're playing in a division with the Dodgers? But the Dodgers have shown in the last years, and we've seen here in St. Louis a couple of times, how they can be vulnerable come playoff time when nobody expects them to be able to be beat. No, that's you're exactly right, and and I think where the Padres are concerned, you know, they've 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 rebuilt for the last several years, and they they're, they're seeing some results now. I mean, you, you know, you guys have seen that. That's a fun team they have right now. Fernando Tatis Jr. I mean, th- this kid could be if he stays healthy, a generational type of player. And you know, Hosmer's hitting again. Manny Machado's returned to being Manny Machado, and um, I, I think the Padres. What do they have? The second best record in uh, in the National League right now. And 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 to your point, you're right. Where they're concerned, you've got one of two choices, right? You could either say, you know what, the Dodgers are just a freaking machine, and and you know we're never going to catch them. Or, and this is, I think, in in a competitive situation, what you have to do, you have to look and say. You have, all teams have to measure themselves against the best starting in their division and then the best in their league, right? I mean, you know, it, 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 it's like the Cubs for years before they won that 2016 World Series. They had to get past St. Louis. They, You know, if they were ever going to do anything as they're rebuilding, they had to measure themselves against St. Louis and close that gap before they did anything else. And, um, you know, I think that's why we saw in the early 2000s we saw Boston's rise when they finally broke through in 2004. Um, and, and remember, the American League East became such a juggernaut. You know, Baltimore was good back then in the late 90s. Toronto was pretty good. And, and all of that reason was the Yankees had built that one of the all-time teams. You know, when they went on their last, had their last dynasty, they won in 96, 98, 99, 2000. And what happens is when, like, going back there, the Yankees – they were the monster and they're the king of the hill that that's what everybody measured themselves against. And they're like, look, that we don't have a choice. We've got, if we're, if we want to win, that's who we got to get past. That's back to the Padres right now, what they're looking at with the Dodgers. It's got a name that we're familiar with here in St. Louis. That is getting a lot of buzzes. Lance Lynn. Do you think he gets moved? And if so, where do you think he lands? Yeah, I mean, uh, the Padres have been involved in conversations with Texas. Uh, the Padres are interested in Lance Lynn. I do think, by the way, the, what Clevenger, Lance Lynn, P- 
Padres are going to get a starting pitch. It seems crazy as much as they've already done, but I do think the Padres will get a starting pitcher today. Uh, Toronto has been very involved. Uh, Toronto, in a similar way to San Diego, they got those great young kids, you know, Don, uh, Bo Bichette and, and Kevin Biggio and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And, and the Jays have won like 11 of their last 14, and they're feeling it right now too. And they're they're uh, you know they've got a chance in that American League East. So I, I think Toronto, from what I understand, is in on Lance Lynn. The Padres are. Uh, you know, that, that guy, that he, to me, kind of epitomizes this trade deadline, by the way, because as I said, there, there's, there's no hall of famer on the market right now, like a Justin Verlander. Um, but you got to pitch to win and Lynn is, uh, such a workhorse. You know, I mean, he's, 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 he's having a good year. Um, he's got now it's uh, up to 32 consecutive starts in which he's thrown a hundred or more pitches that is the most since Justin Verlander uh, back. He, he had a streak of like 80-some starts when he threw 100 or more pitches between 2010 and 2012. And, uh, I mean, that's no small thing in a game in which everybody's bullpen is getting taxed, especially this year. Um, you know, you get a Lance Lynn, he's going to come in. He almost He's going to throw 100 or more pitches. He's going to keep you in games. Um, you know, so I, I think, plus the other thing with Lance Lynn, uh, you know, and this makes him valuable to Texas and the Rangers should get whatever they can for him. If they deal him, his contract is very friendly. He's making 10 million this year. Of course, it's all prorated. And then next year it drops to 8 million. Next year is the last of a three-year deal. And, and, you know, if you get Lance Lynn, you know, 8 million bucks next year for a guy that's going to give you a hundred plus pitches every night, that's pretty doggone good. Hey, Scott, before we let you go, we're witnessing something here in St. Louis uh, with Adam Wainwright that I I hope Cardinal fans are savoring because it's not very often that you get to see a throwback pitcher, and he's not going to the Hall of Fame, but he's been really, really good. But he's also going to spend his his entire career with one organization, and Maddox and Glavin and Smoltz and Verlander and Clemens and uh, all of those guys. They never spent their entire career with one team. It's hard for a pitcher to do that. What we're seeing here in St. Louis with Wayno is pretty unusual, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. See, I'm glad you brought him up. I, I know the trade deadline dominates things today. But, um, yeah, his 39th birthday yesterday, throwing a shutout, uh, entire career with the Cardinals. Uh, and, he's, it, it, and he's represented the Cardinals with such class and dignity. And, you know, not to mention the winning tradition. Um, you know, I mean, I'll never forget. I know people in St. Louis won't either. I was in Shea Stadium, and yes, Shea, not City Field, <laughs> Shea Stadium, for that when he froze Carlos Beltran with the curveball to in 06, you know, game seven of the NLCS. I mean, I know that's going to be his signature moment forever. I mean, I still vividly remember covering that game and watching Beltran freeze. And, and you know, Wainwright, a young Wainwright then, uh, dominate, you know, this, throwing in relief, getting that moment done, and then growing into what it grew into with the Cardinals. And, I mean, it's just, it's been a storybook career. You know, you're right. I, I don't know that he's going to, you know, we probably won't see him in Cooperstown. Who knows? Maybe, you know, maybe we'll see him win the red jacket uh, down the road with St. Louis. But he, he's going to, the great thing with the Cardinals, with him staying in that one organization is, um 
you know, when he's done, I mean, he's going to be around like all the great Cardinal alumni of the past uh, as a resource for young players that are coming in and, and coaching and just talking to them. And I'm sure we'll see him around the stadium. We'll see him, you know, at spring training and, and, you know, the Cardinals have always done right. I mean, I don't have to tell you guys from, you know, back when, you know, rest of soul, red Shane Deans was around in spring training every year and guys like that. And, uh, um, you know, Wainwright has been, he's had a remarkable, remarkable run. And he's to that point in his career where, to, to your point, I hope, I, I trust every start he makes, St. Louis fans are, t- are making sure to lock in on it and savor the starts and, you know, say, you know what, we could, uh, you know, we were going to watch a movie tonight, but hey, let's, we're making sure to watch Wainwright's pitching. We don't want to miss one of his starts because there's not that many left. Scott, it's always great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for taking some time with us. Enjoy the uh, the day today, trade deadline day, and the remaining 25 or so games of the season. <laughs> uh, you as well. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? All of a sudden you look up, there's only, it seems like the season just started, and it did, and there's only 25 or so games left. Um, but, uh, you know, it's nice to have the games back. Randy and Michelle, appreciate it. Thank you. All right, we'll talk to you soon. That's uh, Scott Miller of Bleacher Report with us on 101 ESPN. By the way, Michelle, the top 24 starting pitchers right now in terms of war, active in Major League Baseball, only three of them have spent their careers with one team, Kershaw, Wayno, and Strasburg. Uh, And Strasburg, with his contract, will probably end up with the, the Nationals. Yeah, you never know. Uh, and Kershaw, it, that's touch and go. He could wind up pitching for the Rangers next year. So Adam Wainwright might be the only guy. But uh, of the the rest of the group, you've got Verlander, Greinke, Max Scherzer, Hamels, Felix Hernandez, Cologne, John Lester, Chris Sale, David Price. All these guys have bounced around, and here's Wainwright stick, sticking in St. Louis saying that I'm going to end my career as a St. Louis Cardinal. And what a career it's been. Yep. He was fantastic yesterday on his 39th birthday. We'll relive that a little bit more next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Adam Wainwright was magnificent yesterday on his 39th birthday and Michelle, like we said with Scott Miller, this is something that I hope, and as a fan, I need to do a better job of. I hope we're savoring what we're seeing here with Adam Wainwright in the twilight years of his career. I think we are. I think we know what he is doing and how special it is, given his age and given the fact that he's doing it at a time when the Cardinals really need him to do it. He's showing just what a leader and a competitor, and as Mike Schultz said, a legend he is, that whether it's coming out of quarantine and saying, give me the ball, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to set the tone for what this team can do, or after the bullpen needs a break and he texts Mike Schultz and says, hey, I got you, no questions asked, and then he goes out there on his 39th birthday and gives you a, a complete game. He just is proving to us why he is so special and why he's such an important part of Cardinals history. And I think everyone in St. Louis appreciates Adam Wainwright, but I think this season now, it's must-see TV. Whenever yeah. you know when he's going to get the ball, you better you better make sure that you plan your day around it. Wainwright talked to Dan McLaughlin after the complete game victory. Complete game on your 39th birthday. Uh, you've had so many great moments on this field. Where does this one rank for you? <laughs> oh. It's up there. Um, 
<laughs> Woo! It's good. Um, it's up there for sure. Uh, I thought I was done crying, Danny. Um, <clears throat> it's up there, you know? You, you, you know, we see the emotions uh, come out of you. I, I got to ask you, why are you so emotional with this one? And that may break up some of those that'll emotions. Make, that'll make them go away. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. You get the hug there from, from Yadier uh, Molina. Why why so emotional with this one? What, why, why is this one so special? Uh, um, I hadn't been that good for a while. You know what I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, You've been pretty darn good, though, this year. Thank you. Yeah, I started feeling... Uh, yeah, I started feeling better. I started feeling healthy finally. You know, uh, the the thought of of going nine the last couple of years was was a tough thought. You know, you you try to you try to pump yourself up for it. You know, just <clears throat> you just give everything you got. You don't have it, but um, starting to feel it. You know, so it's good to be back. Been around a while and still has that sort of emotion after. Snapping a four-game losing streak. There, there was a lot that went into that that caused him to be emotional. Well, he gives every bit of himself when he's out there. He mm-hmm. gives every bit of himself to the game, every bit of himself to the team, to this community. And sometimes when you're in a moment, it's hard to realize the impact of it. But I think you saw Adam Wainwright really understand that, hey, it's my 39th birthday. And I just gave my team a complete game when they really needed it. And, oh, look who I'm throwing to, Yadier Molina, this guy that I've gone to battle with for 15-plus years. And, oh, it's his 2,000th game wearing, a, not only period, but wearing a car. Cardinals uniform and it's really one of those moments in Cardinals history that you're always going to remember and I don't think that's hyperbole to say. One of the things we love that I love about a guy like Wainwright is the old school demeanor so when did you realize he might throw a complete game? Yeah after five I realized my pitch count was a little higher than than I thought it was I mean only giving up a couple hits at that point but uh, they have very tough hitters that work counts and and uh, take take a lot of close pitches, and, and I found it myself into a couple of deep counts there, you know. And um, the the key was was getting out of that inning with the with the runners on base, and and Lindor hit a, a deep fly ball on a bad pitch down the middle, and after that, I uh, really locked it in. But you know, it was uh, Mad Dog challenged me because earlier in this year, um, when we were in summer camp, I was trying to to get that attack mode back, and I was trying to. Uh, do eight pitches or less, you know, every inning. And so, uh, after the fifth, that's what that's what my goal is. I looked up there and knew our I knew our um, our bullpen was a little low. You know, those guys have been used a little more than they want. We played so many games uh, lately. The guys just needed a break, and and uh, that was my thought going into every inning was eight pitches or less. And and uh, if you see me, if you go back and look on my eighth pitch. A couple, the first couple times I didn't, I didn't do it. I, you know, I was like uh, nine pitches once and eleven pitches, twelve pitches. But on the eighth, on the eighth pitch, several times I had a chance to get the third out. And and uh, one time Caesar hit a double to left, and another time a uh, guy took it. And I just, you could see me smack my smack my leg. And I, I just, I wanted so eight pitches or less was the goal. I was out there competing with myself um, in the middle of the game. I, that seems to be, you know, I, I just love competing, Danny. And, yep. Uh, you know, any 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 way I can make a game of something is gonna is gonna strengthen my my mental fortitude when I go out there. So that's what I was trying to do. That's just awesome to hear. Isn't that what the great ones do, though? They yeah. compete against themselves. Yeah. And I love that even at this stage of his career that Mike Maddox is giving him challenges and that he's embracing them and attacking them and the manner in which he is. And how even as he's talking about this unbelievable performance that he had, 
part of his mentality in that moment is his teammates and mm-hmm. how he needs to continue on so that he can give them a break. Yeah, 32 pitches in the last three innings, which is phenomenal. Uh, less than 11 pitches per inning. And after the game, the, the Indians, and they're a well-schooled organization. Terry Francona isn't there, but they still have the Terry Francona thought process at the top. So the Indians actually saluted 39-year-old Wainwright after the game. Yeah, that's one of the coolest things I've ever had happen to me on the field, honestly. Um, that that meant a lot. You know, I wanted to uh, I wanted to look over and give him a wave before that, but I didn't know if that was going to be showing him up and then to – to have them kind of call me back out and, and, and to say, job well done, man, I'll tell you what, that was special. I'll never forget it. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Cleveland. Classy. Super classy. But as competitors, sometimes you just have to tip your cap to somebody. Yeah. And you recognize what a moment that is. And I appreciate the, that the Indians recognize it and gave Adam Wainwright his due. Yeah, it's pretty cool, Michelle. During spring training, he told us that last year, at the All-Star break, the Cardinals' starting pitching was kind of wavering, and he challenged all the guys to throw first-pitch strikes. And you talk about competition. There was a competition among the pitchers to see who could throw the most first-pitch strikes. And everybody got more efficient after that, and that's when the Cardinals' starters started going more innings. And it was because of something that Wainwright came up with. Hey, you throw that first-pitch strike, you're automatically going to be more efficient. So those little games that he talks about playing with himself, he plays with his fellow starting pitchers as well, and it makes the team better. He's such a leader in so many ways, even something like that, to where he's challenging them to be better all the time, and he's the one setting the tone to do that. It's just been such a joy to watch him these all these years in St. Louis. It really has been. And how many times have bad people counted out Adam Wainwright? You see and, and you hear that raw emotion when he's talking mm-hmm. to Danny Mack because he's battled back and he's persevered through ups and downs and through injuries, and I... I don't think that he probably ever counted himself out, but he understands that it's human nature for us to look at a pitcher who's aging and who's had injuries and wonder what they can give you. So for him to go out there and be able to do that and to prove everybody wrong, it has to hit you a certain way. And think about this. If you're 20 years old, he's been pitching since 2005. If you're 20 years old, you don't remember Cardinal baseball without Adam Wainwright. He's been pitching since I was in high school, Randy. That's amazing, <laughs> it's isn't amazing. it? amazing. Yeah, so congratulations to Wayno and... Great work by him as he snapped. That's the biggest thing. He snapped a four-game losing streak and got the Cardinals a win. Next up, Danny Mack is going to join us. Our weekly visit with Dan as we head towards the crossover here with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Dan McLaughlin is here. Text to the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Uh, from the 573, Dan, how messed up is 2020 when a trade to the Padres is a blessing? How messed up is 2020 when you have a great moment and they got to put on a face mask to hug? Yeah, <laughs> right. I know. Pull it out of your back pocket. Holy cow. That was uh, that was crazy, man, seeing that. That was an awesome that was an awesome moment at the ballpark yesterday. Fantastic. Yeah. That was the that was truly like watching and taking you out of quarantine pandemic moment uh didn't think about it for a second that was cool when you talked to him after the game adam wainwright we're obviously talking about him getting a complete game on his 39th birthday you could hear and feel and see the emotion coming out of him do you think it was just a looking back on everything he had endured to get there or what do you think he was feeling in that moment that's a great question um you know i did i I followed up with him I, i he was 
I, w- I don't know what the time was. I don't know. It was five or ten seconds where he, he didn't even answer. I don't yeah. know if you guys watched the, the post-game interview, but he, he couldn't couldn't talk. You know, he had tears in his eyes and coming down his cheeks. And um, I just let it go. I wasn't going to force him to keep talking and, and try to get something out of him. Just let him let it be. And I said, why are you so emotional? What What is it about this moment that makes this so emotional? You've been through so many of these great moments and you've had complete games and you've had the World Series moments and all those kind of things. And he said it was because, and I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, I still can do it. You know, I still have it in me mm-hmm. to do it. And here it is, his 39th birthday, and I'm, I'm still able to compete at a high level and do it. I remember it was in May of 2016, I believe, we were in San Diego. Mike Matheny walked out to get him. And I'm so glad I didn't say this because I would be eating crow, but I was thinking it. This is the last time I'm watching Adam Wainwright throw a pitch on a major league mound. And I was going to say that on the game, and I thought, don't do it. it it's just, just don't do it. Just say he's coming out to take him out of the game and just let it be that. And thank goodness I didn't because here we are in 2020 and he's doing what he's doing. Um, but at that time, man, he was throwing a fastball about 80 miles an hour. And I remember doing an interview with him, and I said, "What happened? How did you? How have you been able to come back?" And he said he was playing catch with Dominic Leone, who was trying to come back, and he hadn't really picked up a ball. Adam hadn't for a couple of months, and by just playing catch with Dominic, he said something clicked in his body, in his arm, that he found an arm slot. It was starting to work. He started throwing harder. And I thought at the time, God bless him. I thought it was, this is typical Adam being Mister you know, positive, oh, something's happening here. We're going to be a great team. I'm going to be back, and we're going to – and I thought, okay, just let it go. And sure enough, something did happen, and he was right. And I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it, and and here he is. He's 3-0. and He's the ace of the staff at 39. I don't think there's any way to say it. He is the ace of the staff. Mm -hmm. He is the ace of the staff of the Cardinals in 2020. I didn't think that would happen this year. He is their best pitcher, and he's come up big this year when they've needed him most, which was yesterday, which was coming out of the second wave of the COVID. Um, It's just been incredible what he's been able to do. A stopper is a starting pitcher who stops losing streaks. Yes. He's the definition this year of being a stopper. Well, I never thought a stopper or an ace would be when you come out of a 17-day layoff and you've (laughs) been essentially trapped in your hotel room, too. Mm -hmm. But you can add that to the list of it. And, you know, I still think the most impressive, even maybe more so than yesterday, the most impressive start that he's had is the five innings coming out of the shutdown. Mm-hmm. They needed innings somehow, some way, and they got five innings having no idea how beat up the team may be after that road trip, and they, they at least got five innings of a seven-inning game or whatever that was when they first came out. That was huge for them. And then the the next start was the game in which he uh, had two airs behind him in the first, gave up a home run to Freddie Galvis. They're down 3 nothing, and then you look up, he's pitching into the seventh inning. He sets down 15 in a row. Then the next game, he's going deep into the game without his best stuff. And then yesterday, he gives you nine innings with the bullpen definitely on fumes. They needed, yeah. they needed him to go deep in that game some way, and he gives you nine innings. So now you, you go in, not I don't say fresh, but it's a... It was a boost in many ways. It's a boost to their bullpen going into Cincinnati, and it's a boost because the team, I'll I'll say it, just looked beat up and tired. They looked tired early in that game. Whether it was Carpenter's catch on just what should have been a routine play on a foul ball, 
Car, uh, Dexter Fowler made a sliding catch on a ball and right when you watched him get up. Do you see how he got up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look tired. Right. I mean, just these guys are tired, man. It's just it is what it is. They're just beat up right now. They're very, very tired. So they needed that. And it's a pick me up. And it's kind of like, OK, it's also kind of a wake up too. like, hey, we started. We still have games to go. We got a month to go. We got to go. Time to get going. Like it or not, here we go, and it's a wake up call, and and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just it's just hey, we we got to get it going, and so that's what they needed mentally and physically and in every which way, and he did it yesterday. One more thing about Wayno for you, Dan. It reminds me of Michael Jordan when we were watching the Last Dance. How Michael Jordan would say, "I'm going to go out there and do X." It's one thing mm-hmm. to say it; it's another to do it. To do it. Another to do. And that's here right. we have Adam Wainwright a couple times this season texting Mike Schultz or saying to Mike Schultz, "Hey, after quarantine, I want the ball. Give me the ball. I'm going to set the tone." Or, "Hey, I got you. No questions asked." And then he goes out and gives you that performance. Apparently, he's done this um, multiple times. Not like he does it every night, but when he does do it where he sends out a group text to the team and they're also on kind of like a almost like if you're, if you're a parent out there you have like this thing called team bot mm-hmm. you, you know what I mean where the, the all the parents are on there and you can chime in on your schedule and say hey can you pick up Johnny and get Susie and I need help here you know so the, the players are on that and they communicate with that and he's done that a few times where he said hey we need to get it going or you know hey let's think about this let's do that I mean he truly is a team leader and if there's any question about why he is still playing he does need to be doing this he's he's made millions of dollars well over a hundred million dollars and i was thinking about this coming into the station today and i thought about it yesterday he's unquestionably going to get a red jacket he, he'll be a, without a doubt um a hall of famer for the st louis cardinals and we'll play the video that'll show his tremendous highlights and there's going to be so many of them from maybe his first at bat where he hits a first time he ever dug into the box it's a major league home run he the Carlos Beltran curveball, closing out a World Series. Um, so many great moments that he's had on the mound, and one of them of all the oddities, and one of the special moments that will be will be him putting on a mask and hugging hugging Yadier mm-hmm. Molina. And I, I just started thinking about the things that he's been through in the entirety of his career from coming up in 2005 to now, and it's still going. If there's any questions as to whether or not he will come back, I've had people ask me, do you think he'll be back next year? And I said, absolutely, I do. And I do think that Yachty will be back next year because they can still play at a pretty decent level. Obviously, they're playing at a pretty high level. Um, it's just been an amazing run, and they've represented the city and the and the community and the team at a a neat level. You know, it's just, it's fun. Take them in as you can because you're, you're not going to see guys like this come around very often. It's trade deadline day. We'll talk about the trade deadline for this year with Danny Mac next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Hey, if you uh, go to the 101 ESPN Facebook page right now, you can see Jamie Rivers getting a mohawk. Jamie Rivers <laughs> pays off on his bet, so he's getting a mohawk today. Why do you get the mohawk? I remember them talking about that. Why do you do it? Yeah, just uh, he, he lost a bet. What was the bet? Do you remember? I can look for it here. It's no big deal. I'm just, I'll, I'll see him within probably in the next yeah. hour, I guess. Yeah. See It'll the mohawk. Fun. I know he got a quarantine cut, uh, and that had just grown back, so why not get the mohawk? Yeah. Good. I look forward to it. Is it going to be a spiky mohawk? He's going to put any gel with it. Yeah, the gel. Come on, it's Jamie Rivers, of course. Yeah, he played. He. This is a guy that played the mullet very, very well. Yes, he did. He had a hell of a mullet. Also, if you're going to go mohawk, 
Go all the way. You might as well. Go all the way. Yeah. Yeah. So just go to the Facebook page and you'll be able to check it out. It's pretty cool. You seem kind of down today, Randy. I'm not, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm not down. Okay. Was he down today, Michelle? He wasn't. We All were writing right. high off Adam Wainwright's performance yeah. last night. Okay. Yadier Molina, 2,000 games. I mean, yeah. we had a lot of great stuff going on yesterday. Cardinals win. Yeah. And Yadier's closing in on 2,000 hits, too. He might get that before the season is through. I would think so. Yeah. yeah. He's 100 hits away, I think, from being fourth on the Cardinals all-time list behind Stan, Brock, and Albert. Right. So he'll get he, it. Yeah, he's going to wind up being one of the all-time Cardinals. As a matter of fact, we had the discussion earlier. Is he right now a top 10 all-time Cardinal? And I have him there in my top 10. Who, Yachty? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If I had him at six, right, Michelle? Yeah, six. Yeah. So, yeah. Longevity at the position. And doing what he's done at the position. Yeah. Yeah. What we've seen. I'd be a little bit surprised if the Cardinals would make a major move. Maybe they'll go out and get a reliever or something like that. I don't... I, don't, I mean, look, I, I don't... You know, I sit there and I say, I don't know. I, my gut would tell me I don't think they do. You know, I mean, they got guys coming up. I mean, if they, right. first of all, you had Tommy Edmond playing left field yesterday. They've got Lane Thomas if they want to come up. They got Ravello coming up if they want to play left field. So that's number one. Um, if I was going to address the team, it would be offensively. If I was going to address the team in another way, it would be with arms. They can just start mixing and matching some of those guys that they've had coming up and down. It's the key will be is being creative with the forty man and how they're going to be able to yeah. to get through waivers with some of those guys. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. So they don't lose them on the on the waiver trail and when they have to get through that. But uh, you know, we were talking about trying to get Wainwright get through nine innings to kind of save you the the bullpen. That would be my concern. You know, is is you got a that one week coming up? It's not next week. Or it's not this week, but next week. Mm-hmm. That's the one that concerns me with all those double headers. But your starters are starting to go deeper into games to where they should give you. I mean, you would hope one or two of those guys give you seven innings. That's a complete yeah. game in a double yeah. header. So right. now you're saved on one of the ends of the double header. Now you're not diving into your bullpen. That's what, that's the hope. You would like to think that. I think that they might be able to get through those three double headers in five days. Logically, you could get through with, if not every starter, every starter but one giving you five innings. Well, what killed you, I think, was Ponce not getting through the right. first inning yep. Friday night. And then when you win extra innings on Saturday, that those are just killers, man. You know, when you yeah. when you have a team kind of on fumes anyway and you got to go to your bullpen like that, that's tough. But Wainwright saves you on the back end. Now, if you would have said... Wainwright in the first, you would we would be we would be talking about how Wainwright. Oh man, think about how the nine innings on Friday saved you. Well, just think of it the other way too. You know what I mean? Reverse it. He saved right. you. So you should feel a lot better going into this series this weekend or this week with Cincinnati. Does Oviedo make his way into the starting rotation? now? He's in now. So so he takes the st- the start. Yeah. start. Yeah, which makes sense. I think that's a good move because I'm I've been surprised by his ability to get the Cardinals deep into games. Well, I, I, you can't go back out there with Ponds. No. Can't trust him. Now, I would think he gets another crack at it because what complicates this in my mind is that with Andrew Miller going on the injured list, Gomber would have been the reasonable decision for me, at least, to put him, slide him in the rotation. But if Andrew Miller is unavailable, Gomber's got to get the late inning stuff with Cabrera. So. Right. You got to have a couple lefties down there that you can rely on. I'm not sure you'd want Webb with the game on the line. I want a guy with a nasty breaking ball that, if he's a three batter minimum, that can get both lefties and righties out. It's got to be Gomber. I'm with you. Yeah. 
Before we let you go, Dan, I want to ask you about the offense. You've seen yeah. some good things out of this offense, but you're certainly hoping for more consistency. Oh, man. Yeah. I, it was a concern coming into the season. It's mm-hmm. a concern now. And there's a few, a few, there's a few things. Number one is teams just aren't pitching really to Goldschmidt for the most right. part. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons why, he, in, to his credit, he's patient. He doesn't force things. He draws a lot of walks. And sometimes the offense is non-existent, and other times you have it like yesterday. You know, someone other than Paul Goldschmidt has got to step up. And Carpenter hasn't been that guy, although he's leading your team and runs batted in. I think Dexter's been fine. Yep, Dexter's been, you know, what you thought Dexter could be. He's been steady. But there's got to be outfield production somewhere. Somewhere. Now, Bader had it going, but then he got the migraines and had to sit. And that's unfortunate because you could see he was starting to make some strides. Mm -hmm. Um, Dylan Carlson has had the chances with runners in scoring position yeah. and runners on base. I looked it up going into the weekend series. Since his call-up, he has had the most opportunities, along with J.T. Romuto, with runners in scoring position since his call-up. Mm. Wow. So he's had opportunities. Again, though, you're not going to put the whole load on him. He's a rookie. You know, and he's 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 grinding. He's, he's not getting fastballs. The league has figured out already – Change up, change up, change up, off speed. You know, so he's making adjustments. So it's not fair to him. He's a young kid. Um, the guy that I'm starting to see some really good things from, though, is DeYoung. Yeah. I mean, we're starting to see him get it going a little bit. And if you can get him going and maybe one of these outfielders, like, let's say, Elaine Thomas gets a run. Or if O'Neal. You know, O'Neal's been disappointing after he just has not come back and performed the way that he did in the first week. Um, you got to have somebody else, though, step up. It's got to happen. Yeah, and the the offense we were talking about it today. The only real chance you have at a number four hitter is DeYoung. I would think so. I, I do. So I, I don't see the Cardinals going out and, and making a move. I really don't. I, I just think you know this is not to make an excuse, but it's really hard to judge this team. I mean, how do you judge a team that had seventeen days out and you're still yeah. trying to catch up on games? You're just trying to for the best. For a good seven to ten day period, you were just trying to get through games. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, let's fans may not want to hear it, but that was realistic. I mean, you were just trying to get through games, and they did and it build, successfully. And by the build way. the starters up and protect some of your relievers. And and I know some fans are saying, "Well, that's that's not an excuse." Well, it's reality. You were now that you're trying to now you you've got some guys built up. Wayno's went gone the distance obviously. Other starters should be able to be built up to give you 7 to 8 innings if need be or 9. Let's see what they can do. Should be fun. You got yeah. BT coming up? Yep, yeah, BT coming up. Uh take a look at some of the, you know now it gets interesting. Your trade deadline, you're you're basically a month away mm-hmm. and half the teams in baseball have a chance to get in and will get in. But they're all they're all crunched together. I mean, even if you're in last place, you got a chance. It's kind yeah, of fun. In the National League, I think the only team that doesn't have a chance is Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh would be out. And in the American League, I don't think Detroit's going on a run. I think the American League teams are pretty well set. You've got the eight. I was looking at that. Not yet. Who could make a run? Uh, I would say Boston's out. Baltimore is out. Um, I'm not yet. Th- now, this is where it gets a little dicey for me. Um, Toronto, depending on what happens with the trade deadline today, that's Toronto's the only one. in number eight right now. Yeah, that would be my eighth. So okay, Detroit. Wow. No. <laughs> Again, Randy, I've got this is a crazy season. I'm just playing that role. Okay. Okay. We have the we have the eight. You're right. 
<laughs> Cardinals have to beat up on Detroit. Well, this uh, is kind of an important series tonight. Yeah, it is. You know, starting with Cincinnati. Cincinnati's got to start playing well. Or sell by the end of the day. But they're, they're, apparently they're, they're not going to sell. They're interested in buying than selling. I don't think they can afford to because this was it. They were going all in this season. Bauer's a free agent yeah. to be. They just haven't hit. How can that team not hit? Crazy. It's unbelievable. They've got a lot of hitters. Yeah. Castellanos, Suarez, Votto. They benched Votto for three games last Amazing. week. I don't get it. It's crazy. Thank you, sir. All right, I'm done. Coming I'll up, talk about it later. Uh, we're, we'll be back with you tomorrow. So good, great job by our producer engineer, Scott Manziara. Thanks, Randy. Michelle, always good to see you on a Monday. You too, Randy. See you tomorrow. And we appreciate you tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.